This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up. I'm one of the hosts, Lisa Traeger. Hello. I'm the other host. Hello, I'm Kara Clank. And every week on this podcast, we take you through an episode of Law & Order SVU. Maybe you've heard of it. As well as talk about the true crime the episode's based on. And then we chat with an amazing guest. But at the beginning, we do a little hang time. So... Well, I guess the biggest thing that's happened, and sorry if this was already a few weeks ago for you guys, but... That Anna Winter got ID checked and didn't have an ID in front of our friend's show. Like, wait, I didn't even know this story. Are you fucking kidding? There's like a, a like a real like a nine second really cool video, and it's basically like Anna Winter going into Allison Libby's Oh God, an hour about abortion. So the poster's like in the background. Yeah, and it's one of the employees going your ID and Vax card, like. And it's Anna Winter being puzzled because I don't think she's been asked for an ID in decades. So it's her going, what? No. (laughs) And just walking into the venue without showing her ID because another woman's like, right this way, right this way. And this woman in blue braids was just like, ID, please. Yeah, Um, she might not know who the fuck Anna Wintour is. I mean, who knows? Yeah, and so it's like this super famous video and Allison's poster is just in the background of it because she's in the way to the show. I saw the photo and I was so happy that Allison got a photo of Anna Wintour in front of the, the poster, but I didn't know about this little ID situation. A I got viral moment. I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I talked to her last weekend and was like, listen, everything that's happening in this country is fucked right now, but it is making your show extremely timely. And for that, I'm finding this tiniest sliver of a silver lining because people now like have to go see her show more than ever. Yeah, I I mean I you know I bought my tickets. I think the next time, well, I don't know. I was about to say the next time you hear from us, will I've seen it? But you know we're in a weird time. Yeah, we're time in a weird warp. time machine right now because you know Lisa has a big trip out of town. Yeah, I'm going to Finland to work for a few weeks and then London. But from London, I will be recording, so that'll be um, thrilling. Should we for say us all. too if anybody has any Finland like Rex, send them to our DMs because. Maybe I'll just Lisa. be working, but maybe oh, I well, can suggest it to them. Be like, I need to go here. Yeah, like a cool restaurant to try or something. Yeah. I told them I wanted to get tattooed. Oh, yeah. They said, what am I interested in? And I said, art museum, tattoos, and I would see a heavy metal show. Oh, wow. You. We should get the hookup from um, Jessica from Orange is the New Black. She's in Sweden, but just a hop, skip, and a jump. Yeah, all of them. Wait, have you been playing Factal? No. Did it, was it you? Who just told us about it? It might have been me. My sister told me about Factal, but I've been enjoying it. So it, it's multiple choice and there's like all of these countries, right? Let's say there's 20 plus countries. And then it says like, put the countries in the top five order of most endangered species or like most screen time, happiest countries, Shit like that. But are and you then just you, guessing? Because you couldn't really know. How can we know? Well, you kind of use smart things. So for like um, the most forest, I was like, well, what has the most land? What's the 
what's the thing for the animal. So basically what I was, what I was getting at is whenever it says happiest, most satisfied, I'm always like Finland, Denmark, and it's always in the top five. And then you just have to figure out the order. But I always, I, I've not, I've only gotten it right once. It oh, is hard. wow. I got to Because I don't it. know everything. But I, I did know mostly endangered species. I didn't know Mexico had a lot of endangered species. But I, I got Indonesia. I would never know that. I would be so bad at that. You know India, there's tigers. Like, you know you know the rhinos. Where do the rhinos live? Like, you know where the animals that are most endangered I didn't know rhinos be. were endangered. Are they endangered? Yeah, because people want those bones. Oh, those horns. That's the right. Horns. Yeah, yeah. They, if you got a horn, they want you. <laughs> they want um, your horn. Oh, wait. Can I ask a quick question about Finland? Are you going to be in Helsinki most of the time? Like, the capital? We're probably staying there, and it's a small country, but it's day trips. I, they basically gotcha. said to be prepared for 15-hour work days. So I think in the day, I will be visiting, like, schools, police departments, um, store, just, like, bakeries. I don't know, just Finland shit. The Arctic. and then, I can't wait for you to be like, are your police as dumb as ours? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then at night, I meet up with the other comedians for dinner and drinks, and we talk about what we did in the day, because in the day, we're split up. Oh, interesting. I yeah. love this. I hope we get a chance to watch it here in the U.S. Or well, I keep telling link. people I'm about to get really famous in Finland. They're like, what are you doing there? I'm like, I think I'm about to blow up. I think I'm going to be Mr. Bean. <laughs> I'm just so anti, not anti, opposite of Finland culture or like what, you know, their society. I think it's going to be great. I They're can't They're quiet to, people. I hope that they at least give you some like links you can pass around to friends because oh, I'd yeah, love yeah, yeah. to see it. But yeah, I'm excited. But the packing. I bought packing cubes. Are you a packing cube person? No, what the hell's a packing cube? They're just like packing cubes you put within the suitcase to help organize the packing. And oh, so I really... Because then I'm going to London and then New York. And so it's like three different climates, two weddings, mm. 10 days of shooting. Oh, my God. So it's God. like, it's just a little bit um, overwhelming. And so I bought packing cubes. So we'll wow. see. I'm sure our listeners will holler about the packing <laughs> cubes. Pro or against. <laughs> I think I mentally packing cube, but I know what you're saying. Like when I'm doing, like I always put some things in like the same places in my suitcase. But yeah, that is an intense, like I would be stressed to pack for that trip. That sounds like a lot. But I know you can do it. And um, wait, I was going to say, speaking of a link to something I want to see, you recently performed Backstreet Boys. I want it that way at a comedy show. And I really wish I could have seen that. It was really fun. I wore my outfit from Daughter. But uh, oh, then I, I had to run this to another outfit. show. Oh, it's just like, well, you know, I thought it was a dress, but it's poofy pant, like, <laughs> which is better. Yeah. Which is like always better in pockets. Um, it was amazing. I love singing. I, lo I love the Backstreet Boys. I love singing. And I love living my fantasy with a live band. And the band is incredible. Goddamn Comedy Jam is incredible. Um, they, they help yeah. comics live their dreams. Comics chat a little. But then there was like a guy in his balcony watching the show. And so in the middle of them singing Zombie, they were like changing the lyrics to be about the guy. This like bald <laughs> man. <laughs> Um, in the, oh my God, I was doing a show at Soho House and there was a short, oh, you don't watch Stalling Sunset. I know. And everybody And our is, listeners were pissed. Yeah. They were all on me about it. Guys, if I could tell you how behind I am on everything. I'm, I wanted to watch the second season of Love is Blind. I mean, there's a lot I want to watch. I just am, I, I don't have the time. I can't. No, but when you're researching for our podcast, does it have to be silent? Can you have a selling sunset in the background as you study, you know, a crime? 
Yeah, that's true. I guess I could do that. You're right. That's probably that's probably what I need. I don't have that many shows like that right now. When Most you're doing the, the dishwasher. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'll try. I mean, yes, I will. I'm going to give it a shot. Because I'm honestly sick of hearing everybody talk about it and not knowing. I went and saw the movie Hereditary, even though I hate horror movies, just because I wanted to know what everyone was fucking talking about. So, honestly, you guys are going to break me down. Overrated movie. Um, I would agree with that. I thought it was good, but I think with the people act like it's the best thing that's ever happened, and I don't think that that's the fact. Absolutely but. not. And you need kind of a more concise ending. I don't know. Like, I still don't know what happened. And me neither. Someone had to explain it to me for sure. Like um, spirits, obviously. <laughs> some secret society. I don't know, but... Yeah, it was confusing. It was well. Tony Collette's, you know, one of the greatest actresses alive. So, like, I understand wanting to watch her do anything, but... Have you seen um, the fictionalized staircase? Not yet, but I haven't seen the real staircase. Maybe I'll just watch fictionalized. I feel like I want to watch Candy before I watch the staircase, but maybe I got to just watch Well, the real staircase doc is so fucking great that like, and crazy that I I would want you to watch it first, but whatever. Because of the owl. I heard there's an owl. The owl. I don't know if they're going to touch on the owl in the HBO, but so the so yesterday, okay, so my friends Brent and Elliot, you know them. Brent constantly sends me unhinged text messages like making fun of Elliot, but like in a really fun out like crazy way. So he sends me this text and he goes, oh my God, I'm so excited for Elliot. He just told me he got a part as a stand-in for a major actor in an HBO show. I'm so excited for him. Here's the scene. And it's this scene where Colin Firth is eating Tony Collette's ass. <laughs> And he's just like, it's wild because like, if you watch the doc, that's not a scene you ever imagined happened between this couple. But you know, HBO likes to take their liberties and make everything super sexy. And you know, everyone's just going to talk about an ass eating scene between two like Oscar, either winning or nominated actors. I know she's won. Has he won? I don't know if she's won. For the King's speech. Didn't she win for um, Sixth Sense? I think she just got nominated. Annalise is looking it up. Yeah, I know. She has not won. But um, that scene was shocking to me because I, like I said, didn't think it came from the reality of those people. But who knows? Maybe they found a journal where the dead woman is like, oh yeah, my husband used to eat my ass all the time. Who knows? It's HBO. They got to put some sort of fucking in there. Oh, I know there would be like fucking. Like the guy was definitely fucking a lot of people. He had multiple wives and stuff, but like, I don't know, just like an in the kitchen ass eating. Like in yeah. under the fluorescent lights of a kitchen. Very Not fluorescent, girls. but overhead. Yeah, it was very the staircase meets girls. Exactly. Wait, tell how was your Mother's Day? Oh, it was good. Uh, my Mother's Day was good. I got to spend the morning with my children and then the morning, the afternoon without my children. And that was as nice as it could be. Did Rosie get what Mother's Day is? No, but the next day she was like, is it still Mother's Day? And I was like, no, I don't know. <laughs> like, she kept saying, I have a present for you. It's in the closet. And I go, oh, can I have it? And she goes, no, it's a surprise because there was no present. There was no present. <laughs> she didn't get me anything. I was annoyed her school didn't like make a little thing for us. Like I was like I'm looking sure forward to getting- some bullshit Montessori ideal. I know. You're right. You're totally right. Because like Gifts last year- Gifts aren't necessary. I don't know. Yeah. Fucking... Or holidays like aren't real. Some people don't have moms, whatever. I understand that. But like last year 
we got these little handprints that were made into an owl and it said, owl always love you. And I like still have it on my fridge. I think it's so cute. I made my mom in first grade a flower pot and inside, like we drew, whatever. We made flower pots for our moms. My mom still has it. The plant that I gave it to her grew forever. Like we had it for decades, honestly. Like the fact that Montessori is anti-Mother's Day is not okay. We don't know that. I'm just making I'd like to say publicly that I denounce uh, Montessori's anti-Mother's Day stance. But but it was good. You know, I, it's so weird. Like when friends text me happy Mother's Day, because I never thought of Mother's Day as like a holiday for anyone my age until I became a mom. Like, I don't think I ever texted my mom friends before I had kids. I was just like, oh no, that's like, it's Mother's Day's for like your old mom, you know, like your mom. (laughs) Like, I just never thought about it. I also think social media has made things more, um, yeah about everyone else or something like that. Yeah. But I got some nice messages from people, you know, telling me they think I'm a good mom and stuff, which is really nice because you're not in my house and it's nice that I'm giving off that impression and, you know. Um, (laughs) But it was good. Did you talk to your mom, of course? I mean, you talk to your mom all the time. Well, so it's so funny. So I sent my sister and my mother flowers. But and even though they live a few blocks apart, my sister got hers first while she was on the phone with my mom. <laughs> so then I call my mom because I guess I was like, I guess the flower delivery, you know, it's a busy day. Yeah. So I just call my mom to just talk to her anyways. And my dad picks up and goes, well, why wouldn't you send your mother flowers? You sent your sister flowers and not your mom. And it's like, in what world, dad? In what fucking world are you coming for me? Like, I would not send her flowers, <laughs> you dumb bitch. I was like on a rage. So I was like, are you fucking kidding me talking to me like this? Put my mother on the phone. Yeah. Like, there's like, a reason no one wants to talk to you. shut up before Father's Day comes around and I completely skip you. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, I, he never likes anything. I got him mixed nuts last year. He didn't like it. Um, <laughs> but my mom, how wild is this? They had a bouquet that was carnations and roses. Oh, Which is kind of rare. Yeah, I have all three of her favorite flowers tattooed on my um Oh, I love that tattoo arm. of yours. Yeah. The third one, I don't remember if it's lavender or lilac. The English always fucks me up. I think it's sitting. I think it's lavender. Yeah. Mm, I love lilacs too. Oh my God, the smell of lilac. I used to wear a lilac um, body spray from Bath and Body Works and then they discontinued it. I was devastated. But I guess my sister was very pumped and surprised. And I told her that I usually don't want to send her stuff because she doesn't like, she's kind of like you in terms of she doesn't like useless things. Yeah. And so, but this year I go, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I guess she was very happy. It is And I was nice. like, I was nervous. I was going to send you a candle or something. So it's useful, but um, <laughs> I'm glad she enjoyed it. But yeah, I talked to my mom. But you I talked to her all the time. You famously got me a uh, charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent candle that I'm obsessed with and still burn to this day. Wow, so you, you still are... have it? That's oh, yeah. nuts. <laughs> I can't light a candle that often because Rosie can get up there, you know? So it's like, when I am when I can do candles, I do yours. Um. I just want to shout out a couple of our tour dates in case you um, have not listened or heard uh, or seen on our socials that we are going to be doing a city near you possibly very soon. On June 5th, we are doing um, Mic Drop Comedy in San Diego. On June 9th, we're going to be in San Francisco at Cobb's Comedy Club. Cobb's Comedy Club. Um, And then on the 19th, we're going to be in Minneapolis at the Minneapolis Comedy Festival. And on the 20th and 21st, we're going to be at Zany's Downtown in Chicago. We're so excited. I, like, cannot believe that we're doing Chicago in the summer with Lisa. It's going to be so fun. So please, guys, go to thatsmesseduplive.com and get ticks. Tell your friends that live in these cities. And we will be trying to 
to get to everyone's city eventually. But for now, we'd love to sell tickets to these shows. And then a completely side, not that's messed up thing. I just want to say, because it's um, today is... May 31st and June 7th is next week. And that is when we have a major local election in Los Angeles. Please vote. I am all over my Instagram with people that I'm supporting. Aunices Hernandez, Eric Strong for Sheriff. If you guys, I know that this is very specific to LA, but I just needed to use my platform for one second to shout out that election. Really important. Please go vote and check out progressive voter guides like from Knock LA if you want to know what candidates to vote for. Fantastic. And now let's get going for this jam-packed, horrific episode. (laughs) Hi, hi, hi. Today we are covering The Burden of Our Choices, Season 21, Episode 4. This aired October 17th, uh, 2019, but... um, could really have aired any time in the last 50 years as our country continues to struggle with letting women have autonomy over their own bodies. But let's dive in. Uh, We open on busy working mom Benson with a little slit in her dress. Excuse me. She's showing a little bit of leg. And she goes, Noah, I'm on my way and tell Finn. And I'm like, oh my God, is Finn babysitting? Like I was like, what's happening here? And uh, they really are a family in this squad. And then on the way out, she greets Kat Tamin one of, I think, one of our pod's faves. We do love Kat. And um, this is Kat's second episode. This is where she's just transferred to SVU because she helped them as an undercover in another episode called I'm Going to Make You a Star by Posing as an Actress to Bust the uh, the Harvey Weinstein Guy, Tobias Moore. And, um, A.K.A. Bosch. A.K.A. Well, no, it's no. Ian McShane. Ian McShane is this actor. But he's, um. oh, what's the one that Jared loves from HBO? Um, In Treatment? No, 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 no. It's like old-timey. Deadwood. Gold. Deadwood. Yes, he's a dead, he's the star of Deadwood. He's a Deadwood head. Yeah. Um, he says yeah. cocksucker like every other word on the show. On no, Deadwood. but also this Benson outfit is so different. It is, like, such a different look. You're like, what's happening here? Yeah, she looks like she's going to a PTA meeting. You don't know what's happening. And she's, like, in a rush, mom on the go. And she's like, hi, Kat. Um, Sorry, I can't really be here to walk you through things. But, like, why don't you check out some open cases? And Kat's like, bitch, I already did. And I've read all the major cases from the past five years. And Benson goes, so you're an underachiever. And we we get the vibe of, like, what Kat is like. She does the most, but in a good way. Well, that's why I was excited for her stay on the show and disappointed when she left because I was like, her and Ice are going to have this vibe. You know, she wants, she's, her heart's in the right place, but she's going too hard. She doesn't understand the law of the land and Benson will train her and she'll become this new Benson-Finn combo character with the the rage of Stabler. And I don't know. And it was, it it pissed me off. I also thought that, like, it did take Olivia... Like, Olivia would, like, argue with with ben, with Ben um, Stabler on stuff at the beginning seasons. But, like, it took her a while to really, I think, get, like, the voice where she's like, no, this is what I think. And Kat comes in with that. Like, Kat's just like, actually, Carisi, like, and is fully, like, fighting people that are her bosses immediately. And I, like, respect that about her. Yeah. You know? I do. So anyway, now we're at a weird church with no windows and a red carpet. It truly looks like you cannot breathe in there. There is a bad Christian soft rock band playing. It looks like a nightmare. Uh, And there's a teen uh, girl named Evangeline sitting there, like kind of tapping her leg and being antsy because church is boring as fuck. And her mom's like, Evangeline, cut it out. And like, you know, very Jesus is watching. And um, after the service, the pastor's like walking the parents out and is like, it's so nice to 
see Evangeline here. Are things getting better at home? And the mom's like, yes, thanks to the power of prayer. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine when anybody is like, when like gymnasts are like, I thank God for this gold medal. It's like, no girl, you were up at 4 a.m. going to a gymnastics practice. Your dad drove you. Like a lot of people are responsible for this. I mean, I guess you can thank God if you want, but when they like- But it's also a very self-centered- point of view, and I think we've talked about this on this podcast, but it's like to think that you are blessed by God because you're going to be good at gymnastics, but then the people who are, you know, don't have food or are like, quote, like having the toughest lives, they're not praying and or like God hasn't chosen them to do their skills and they've been chosen to starve on the streets. Yeah, their suffering is part of God's plan. Yeah. And your success and that God cares about you and your gymnastics meet more than anything else. (laughs) It's just like a weird way to live that I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. And like, of course, if God is your way, good for you. It's just, it's something that does not resonate with me. To lead you, but to feel that it's like, out of all the billions of people that that God is thinking about you in this weird moment and listening to your prayers and not others, it's like the manifest destiny of it all. It's like psychotic. Yeah. What do you mean? (laughs) You, you're more important than everyone else to get God's little wishes granted. Did we not see Bruce Almighty? You know what I mean? (laughs) Did we not? (laughs) Collectively as a culture? (laughs) I loved, I mean, it got a fucking sequel. I'm sure people loved Bruce Almighty as much as I did. Evan Almighty? Yeah, that was the sequel. (laughs) Um, okay. Well, so yeah, we're not really vibing with the prayer. And then they're talking about it's her. It's yeah. This- and it's like, God's chosen you, but your church looks like shit. Like, don't you think you would have had yeah. a little bit of nicer vibe if God, if God give really you a believed. window in your church? Like it truly looks like a burnt out VFW hall. But anyway, um, so the parents are walking and they're, they, they mention this boy and they're like, oh, he ran away to New York as long as he's not near our little girl anymore, the dad says, okay? And the dad, I know I'm going to get some, I'm going to get some heat if I don't mention who the dad is. The dad is Zach Guilford, and he's been in a lot of shit, including another SVU called Contagious. I don't recall um, who he is, but he was also in Friday Night Lights. He's like an original character on Friday Night Lights, which people love. Unpopular opinion. I could never get on board with uh, on Friday Night Lights. The camera work is so fucking shaky. I thought I was going to throw up, and I don't care about football. So sorry if that's like your favorite show, but a lot of my friends but do you know- give me shit. So Friday Night Lights is Jason Katims, who did Parenthood. Yes. Same vibe. Families with lessons. You know yes. what I mean? And my friend Bridget, who is one of my dear friends, we always say we're not TV friends because she loves Parenthood, loves Friday Night Lights, and those just, like, aren't my shows, you know? Yeah. And then I'll be like, oh, my God, let's watch The Soup with Joel McHale. And she's like, I hate this. And I'm like, okay, well, we are friends in a lot of ways, but it is not television friends. Um, so the pastor is Jamie McShane, who you've seen in like everything. This guy has 147 credits. He's in another SVU called Decaying Morality. He's been in Bosch, obviously. Bloodline, Sons of Anarchy, a lot of Kara Clank, uh, you know, in my Venn diagram. He's very much in there. Yeah, I wish I looked him up. He looks um, familiar to me too. Yeah. He has a bad guy face. My mom yes. would hate him. 
Yes, actually, I remember thinking, yeah, well, I'll talk about it later. But um, so Evangeline um, asks her parents, can I do my homework before the sleepover? And the parents are like, if you do your chores, and it's like very conservative wet dream, like it's very 1950s. And she tells her mom she loves her and gives her a hug. And then some cheesy pop starts playing. And I have to say, I really don't like when SVU does this. Like they did, they started an episode once. I think it may have been like the James Franco episode that they did. It's like this podcast pop song where the guy has a very high voice and they start the episode with it. And I think that the director or whoever makes these choices is like, oh, I'm doing something different for SVU. But it kind of takes me out of it when I'm listening to like some woman like belt pop tunes while this girl's getting ready to run away. I don't know. Well, it, just, it always I don't like happens. It. The music always happens when it is a girl coming to New York. Yes. And then she will be sold into human trafficking. <laughs> yeah. Or find a pimp who buys her necklaces. Right. Um, or, yeah, there's always... Or, you know, throws herself down the stairs. Uh, but, yeah, it's like the journey to New York to destruction. Yeah. With music behind and it. And I think some people really love that. They're like, ooh, it's like a music video or something. I just don't like it. To me, it's like takes me out of like the SVU format, which, as we know, is very comforting and what I love. So... While this pop song's playing, we're flip-flopping between Evangeline and what's going on in New York. And in New York, Liv and Noah are showing up at a a much better church. And uh, it's where Rollins' baby is being baptized or, yeah, something. I think that's baptism. Yeah, I'm not familiar. But um, I think, and it's also her second baby. It's not Jesse, it's Billy. Um, The female pastor is like, ahem, can we get going? Like, she's very... (laughs) And she's like, now that the godparents are here, so I guess the godparents of this little baby are Liv and Finn, which is cute. Such a fam. So Finn No, was- I thought it was Carisi. Finn was sitting. Oh. Carisi was standing. Because I thought the same thing, but I think it's... Because then I was thinking, how is Carisi the godfather and now also a stepfather? Like, can you be both or not? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess I just thought it was Finn, but because... I didn't Finn think- was just watching, I guess. Oh, Maybe okay. Finn is um, Jesse's. Yeah, possibly, possibly. But also, Amanda, get some friends outside of work. Maybe. I know. <laughs> <laughs> not one friend. Okay. Not any. No, honestly, not a single person on that in that cast has another friend. Like, no. if 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 Finn ever goes, I know a guy. It's like a guy he worked with when he was in Vice, or it's another guy from like an other precinct that he worked at. Like, it's always <laughs> on the job. Um, okay, interesting. So Finn was not babysitting. He was just watching Noah at the baptism or something. And so Billy Mabel Rollins, cute, is getting baptized. And everyone from the squad is acting like they haven't seen atrocity after atrocity covered up by religious organizations. And they're just like, amen. You know, like, <laughs> I love it. Um, they, <laughs> I stand my in-denial cast of SVU. And then uh, the music really pumps into high gear in a way that annoys me as Evangeline grabs a wad of cash from her bedside table. She takes off this pearl bracelet, which we actually sort of never revisit what the bracelet is all about, but I'm assuming it's some kind of religious remember God bracelet. And um, she grabs a suitcase truly the size of a briefcase and heads for the door. Like there's one t-shirt in that suitcase. And then um, we're flipping back and forth. Now we're taking family pictures at church with uh, Billy and the squad while Evangeline is on a bus drinking from a big gulp and she's leaving Ohio. So we find out that she's in Ohio and she's leaving and headed for You Got It, NYC baby. And somebody on the bus is like, you know, trying to hit on her. And she's like, I'm meeting my friend Isaac in New York. Okay, so for all we know, she is going after a boy. Cat 
at the same time in this musical montage gets a fax about Evangeline being missing and then suddenly Evangeline is in Times Square Port Authority area looking very overwhelmed, you know, like there are a lot of lights and people coming at her and, you know, little, it's like little mouse in the city and uh, then we hit the credits. So top of act one, we find out that she's from Jolene, Ohio. I can't sing it, but you guys know the song. And lives like, okay, that's not really our thing, like a runaway from Ohio, but her parents think that she was lured here by a 19-year-old boy named Isaac Franklin, who already has a bench warrant for statutory rape back in Ohio. So that kind of puts it more into the SVU purview. Um, and so the the family, they're like, the family's already on their way. They drove all night. And it's like, they, they come into the squad. Please tell us you found our baby. We prayed the whole way here. It's like, yeah, if you had stopped praying to get gas, she would not have been found. And the pastor is telling Finn that Evangeline is troubled and has seen a lot because her dad was like a bad dude, abusive. And he died and, quote, went home to God five years ago as a result of Oxy. So you know, we're getting a idea of uh, what's going on here. Like the the guy we saw at the beginning saying like, keep that guy away from my, my daughter is her stepfather. And um, the pastor's talking about how the stepdad, James, who they, they keep calling Jim in the episode, was a gift from Jesus. And, you know, he adopted Evangeline when she was nine because he and Tammy got together and then they had two kids together. So they're like a little blended family now. And then Cat interrupts and is like, yo, Finn, I got a lead on Isaac. So they pull up social media and Lisa, you can weigh in because you're more of a tattoo person than me, obviously, but it is one of the most hideous Jesus fish tattoos I've ever seen on his bicep. And they can tell that it's fresh. I mean, I don't know if you have any comments. It's just bad, right? No, I also don't. What? What's the, what's the fish of it all? Because he fed everybody? The Jesus fish, I see it on cars all the time. I don't I know. used to. It used yeah. to be a cool thing. And then the Darwin people had like the fish had legs and it said Darwin in the middle. And it's like yeah. cool magnets, guys. See. The it's known colloquial as the sign of the fish or the Jesus fish called an ichthys that was adopted as a Christian symbol. But it's a Greek symbol of two intersecting arcs, you know. Obviously they just like they appropriated it from Greek Greek mythology or something. Yeah, like I didn't Christian. know Easter was stolen from all the pagan witches and it was like an earth holiday. The Christians be stealing. They stole Christmas. Well, like they just yeah. steal everything. Well, this thing I'm looking up really quickly just says that early Christians used the fish as a secret code to identify meeting places, tombs, and even other Christians. So it was kind of like putting up, I don't know, maybe like a mezuzah on your door was like the Jesus I like fish. That. That's the first and, thing um, I've liked. That that is hear. from thefisheriesblog.com, just so we don't get any copyright um, uh, infringement accusations there. Um, so, Jesus Fish Tattoo, super ugly and shitty. And Finn keeps being like, okay, so all we have to do is look up tattoo parlors. And Kat's like, literally, I'm an Ivy League detective. Like, get out of my way. She's already searched tattoo parlors all over the city, found the tattoo artist who he's pictured with in the photo, and spoken to her and gotten Isaac's address. Wow. <laughs> like, she is killing it. And it feels like she had 10 minutes to do all of that, but it's also television. So at Isaac's apartment, they do a quick glance. She's not there, the girl. Isaac looks like a full burnout. And I have to say, he does not have the hair texture for long hair. He needs to keep it short. Um, they threaten to call the Jolene sheriff because there's already a warrant out for his arrest. And he's like, for hooking up with my girlfriend? And it's like, it's wild how guys like still don't get statutory rape, but there's been so many TV shows about it. And I think they've missed all the episodes. Um, Kat is like, okay, 
hey, Isaac, you can talk now or pray later, and then threatens to cuff him. So he's like, all right, all right. I let her crash here, but we got into an argument and she left. She asked me for money. I said I couldn't do it. And then he gave her his dog, Duke, and said, go panhandle near the 99-cent pizza place. So now they're at the 99-cent pizza place. They find her doing just that. Evangeline's like uh, sitting on a stoop, just like waiting for people to drop change in her hat. And Kat approaches and is like, hey, can I buy you a sandwich? And Evangeline is like immediately getting cop energy from her because she starts to like clean up all her stuff and like try to like get out of there. But she passes out and Kat like catches her. So she's not well. At the hospital, we find out she's dehydrated from exposure and exhaustion. And the doc is walking, talking with Rollins and Benson. And she's like upset because the doctor, she's like, you know, I want to protect patient confidentiality, but I'm also mandated to report. And they're like, okay, well, what can you tell us? And she's like, I guess I'll tell you everything. The extent (laughs) of the vaginal scarring shows that she's been sexually active or abused for the last two years. And it's like, it's definitely abuse. No 11-year-old is like, I have a cool boyfriend. Um, And she's also 12 weeks pregnant. And that's a shock. So here she is, 13 years old, 12 weeks pregnant, and has been enduring two years of abuse, it seems like. So Evangeline is freaking out when she finds out that her mom and stepdad are in New York. She does not want them to know about the pregnancy. They can't know that I disobeyed God's word or why I'm here in New York. And they're like, well, why are you here? And she's like, to get an abortion. So here we go with the whole plot of this um, episode. Um, So now Evangeline is at SVU talking to Olivia and Amanda about how she's starting high school next year. She doesn't want to have to drop out. She's too young to have a baby. All very valid reasons to not want to carry a baby. And Olivia's like, it is totally your decision. And they asked her how she got pregnant. And she said, I turned my back on God. I didn't save myself for marriage. And they ask if it was Isaac. And she doesn't exactly say yes, but she says, he kept asking. He said he loved me. He said it would be our secret. If I told anyone, it would be really bad. Like, you know, the typical grooming stuff that you hear from predators. And Evangeline was too afraid to tell her mom because her mom wouldn't believe her. And she said, you can't tell her mom or Jim or her pastor that she wants an abortion because they would never allow it. And can you just imagine like you're living a life and some pastor, some dude has any control or insight into what you do in your life and times? Like, that's so wild that some loose man from the neighborhood has such a hold on a family. Yeah, and is allowed to just steer the entire course of your life if he wants to. Yeah. So behind the one-way glass, Carisi is looking through and he's talking about how his mom knew that this kind of thing was going to happen. And, uh, you know, like his mom was, his mom has always known that like abortion rights were like going to be kind of up in the air. And uh, Finn is like, well, her parents are going to get her the fuck out of here as soon as they show up. So we got to figure something out. And Carisi's like, well, it's going to be hard for any judge to deny parental consent. But Rollins like, what about years of abuse? And Carisi's like, okay, I can work with that. Um, but there's not really a lot of time because the parents are on their way like as we speak. And so Olivia asks if uh, they can take emergency custody of Evangeline and she's going to call ACS. So Carisi's also like, yeah, she's going to need her own lawyer too. I'll call legal aid. And Olivia's like, why? So they can send someone who has 75 cases and no time to work on this? I've got a hookup. And uh, she's like, I know a lawyer who's good with custody issues. And she sends Finn to go talk to Isaac again, get the 411 about their relationship. How much did the parents know? And then when the parents show up, they embrace Evangeline and are like, oh, they found you. Okay, let's go get back in the car and go to Ohio. And she's like, I don't want to go with you. And then... Like, 
a vision. In walks the gorgeous personal laundry detergent spokesperson, Peter Herman, a.k.a. Trevor Langan, a.k.a. Mr. Marishka Hargitay. That's who she knows. That's who her, you know, Well, and I've said this is. before, but I love his journey um, with his relationship with the SVU detectives because he starts out as just a slimy defense attorney and then throughout the decades has grown into like a real helper of people. Yeah, it's almost like he, I hate to use the phrase finds Jesus, but he like fi- realizes that he can use his powers for good, you know, and starts like taking on pro bono and like helping people. So that's a really nice little arc for I also think he is gorgeous. Like, I think he is one of the hottest men. He is very. Who's arguing hot to with me. you? Nobody. You're acting like this is nobody. Some, like, I just like think opinion. he is truly one of the hottest guys, like maybe yes. working. Like, I love him so much. And um, he is going to represent Evangeline. Dun, 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 dun. So Benson is breaking the news to the parents, and the mom is like, this is not possible. And they're like, okay, well, it's Isaac. He's the father. He has to marry her again. Like, this always works out, right? Like, this is absolutely never followed by years of resentment that turns into emotional and physical abuse. But as long as Jesus is happy, we're good. Didn't this mom get a divorce? Yeah. Well, her husband died, maybe. Oh, he died. Yeah, he died of oxy. (laughs) I mean, but honestly, she probably endured abuse and was like, Jesus will not agree with a divorce. Like, you know, like, even though her and her own daughter were in danger. So... This is just an Instagram post, and I know I have to live my life outside of Instagram quotes, but... Um, it, it was something that said tradition is just peer pressure from ancestors. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's what, why is tradition so important to people? Yeah. And I was watching, I was, I was watching Crazy Rich Asians on TBS in a hotel this past weekend. And it was like the mom just being like tradition, family being miserable is part of our lives. Right. And it's like, why? <laughs> right. Why? Well, I don't get honestly, it. Honestly, that's what Encanto is about too. Like, tradition, family trauma. It's, like, all about that. It's like, yeah, you were treated like shit, and now you got to treat this girl like shit? Like, end it. Yeah. End it. Stop it. Stop the cycle of violence. Um, It's really... Yeah, it's all just so intertwined with religion, though, in this case. So, you know, so they tell the mom she didn't come to New York to be with Isaac. She came to terminate her pregnancy. And the mom is like, no, this baby is a gift from God. And the dumb, dumb stepdad is like, wait. Uh, an abortion? It's like he's so behind. It's like, keep up, you very slow Jesus freak. And the mom is like, no way, no day. We are taking her home. Like, you're not killing my grandchild. And Carisi's like, I'm sorry, that's not happening. Like, Evangeline is in the custody of CPS and you're going to have to appear in court at family court and before a judge. And what good luck. Their pastor actually was a lawyer before he was called by God. So he's going to help them represent themselves in family court. So... He goes, I know things are different here in New York, but our daughter is not killing her baby. Yeah, because in New York, we're just like, baby killing party, we love it. Um, Because it's not a baby yet. Uh, In court... Oh, yeah, Ari Finling, the one man that I saw post about abortion, uh, he wrote, like, if life begins at conception, why don't you celebrate your birthday from there? Yeah. Why is that not your birthday? Yeah, the day your parents had sex. <laughs> yeah, that should be your birthday then, you fucking pieces of shit. I mean, it honestly, it's like, I don't know how, it's like I only can disassociate because yeah. thinking about any of it is just the most sad. It's Enraging. so frustrating. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Ugh. In court, they're arguing back and forth because the perpetrator 
aka the father of this child, has not been identified. And Evangeline refuses to take a fetal DNA test, and she thinks it would be invasive. And the pastor's like, she's about to murder her baby. What does she know about invasive? You know, like it's, I, I can't even. He demands she be returned to her parents, and the judge is like, dude, shut the fuck up. I'm not doing that. And he suggests that, okay, well, if you won't send her back with her parents, what about her aunt, who's right back here and drove all the way from Jolene and loves to shop at Talbot's? And the judge is like, yeah, I can't just hand her over to some aunt. There has to be a home study, other checks. Like, it's actually, to place a child in placement, there, it's, there's actually a lot you have to go through to have your home, like, approved to take in a child even on a temporary basis. So it's wild that they would just be like, yeah, go with your aunt. Um, so the court's like, no way, Jose, on that. And then Evangeline is like, don't make me go with her. Like, they'll take me back to Ohio. And Trevor Langan is like, yeah, their only priority here is to have a 13-year-old rape victim carried to term. And they're silencing her right to choose. And the mom is like, she would never choose murder. And it's like, well, mom, she actually is. So Evangeline then stands up and goes, I can't go back home because he's the one who put the baby inside me and points to her stepdad. Whoa. Done, done indeed. So that's the end of act two. And we realize that this girl is claiming that her stepfather has been, you know, raping her and has impregnated her. No, SVU has truly made me suspicious of all stepfathers. Like, if you're a man dating a woman with kids, I immediately think you're a pedophile now. <laughs> SVU has ruined me, and I just don't trust any dad who marries yeah. someone with kids. It's so... It's I just, just look at them different. I'm just like, why? Why did you... Why, why are you so interested in being this 10-year-old's father? Hmm? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's like, we're going to get listeners being like, my stepdad adopted me and is my life. But, you know. Of course, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying like, that is what I'm doing now. Like, that's just where my brain is. Um, Carisi and Benson are walking and talking and uh, Carisi's like, Hadid said they'll open up an investigation but only after she goes back to Ohio. And it's like, yeah, they just want to stop the abortion, not the abuse. And Carisi's like, are you sure it's him? And Benson's like, she would have told us initially if this, like, you know, like, she definitely did not want to say. This was like a shame for her and it was hard for her to confess it. Like, we believe her. But yeah, you're totally right. Like, they're so concerned about this fetus that like, they're not, they're not even mentioning the rape. Yeah. The two-year-long rape of this per- this yes. girl. Yes. Like, they just are like, whatever, go back to Ohio. We'll deal with it. It's like, he's a rapist. What? Right. So... Now, Olivia and Amanda are back talking to Evangeline in Olivia's office, and she's explaining how the abuse started right after her 11th birthday. He would come into her room, sit on her bed, and tell her she was becoming a woman. Then he took off her PJs, and she says, at first, we just laid there. He said he loved her. If she loved him, she would do this. And then he touched her, she said. And then one night, I think it escalated to, you know, full penetrative abuse. And um, she said how he raped her and that it hurt, and that she said, no, I'm waiting until marriage, but it didn't, he told her it didn't count because he's married to her mom and that they're a family. Which I don't think that she could be lying. That's so something that a guy, like a predator would say. Like, I don't think a kid could make that up. Um, So very horrible. And she said she did try to tell her mom once and her mom just wouldn't listen. And Jim got so mad and said, if mama found out, he'd have to leave all of them. So now it's like, yeah, you're responsible for keeping your family together by holding the secret of your abuse, Um, which is another really cool thing that predators do. Um, So Finn and Kat go to find Jim 
But Pastor Mark is, you know, outside. They're on the street, and Pastor Mark is like, I'm taking him to the airport. He's going back to Ohio. Satan is responsible for what happened in that courtroom today. Evangeline is willful and a liar. And Kat's like, hmm, oh, I wonder when that started. I love Kat's sass here. And then uh, Finn and Kat are just kind of like, why don't you just give your DNA so we can clear this up? And the pastor's like, we won't lend credence to persecution. You know what I was thinking? You know those, like if there was a BuzzFeed quiz, which detective are you? I think I would get Kat in terms of just personality. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> we both, you might get it for the overachieving busyness <laughs> and I might get it for the insubordination. <laughs> we are cat. Yeah. We want to be. Together, we are cat to mean. <laughs> so then Jim shows up and Finn's like, yeah, buddy, why don't you clear your name? And, uh, and he's like, I didn't do this. And Kat's like, okay, so then why are you running away? And he's like, I have two sons who need me. And I've forgiven Evangeline for lying and I'm praying for her. And it's like, and Kat goes, you better pray for yourself because you're going down. She is raging. And the pastor says that the world is watching and God will not allow you to kill an innocent baby. So back at Benson's office, the mom, Tammy, shows up telling her it's impossible that what Evangeline is saying is true. And I keep thinking, oh, she's going to say my husband shoots blanks, like my babies are from a sperm donor or something like that. But no, she just doesn't think it could be possible because of his knowing him and being married to him. And then she picks up a picture of baby Noah and tries to, you know, play on Olivia's maternal instincts. And she's like, imagine he told a horrible lie about your husband. What would you do? And it's like, well, he did actually not correct anyone when he got a bruise from running into traffic. So Noah's done some bad shit. (laughs) And um, she doesn't even have a husband, you dumb country bitch. Like, why do you think everyone is the same with this nuclear family patriarchal stereotype? And Olivia is like, look, I've seen a lot of shit. This is not even the worst that I've seen. And so I believe that, you know, the worst is possible. But Tammy thinks that because Jim disciplines Evangeline, she's trying to hurt him and hurt her. It's like, this feels like a lot for being grounded, you know, feels like a lot to go through. And Evangeline has now agreed to get the fetal DNA test. So if we could get your husband's DNA, it would clear him. And she goes, well, we can wait until after the baby's born to do that. Because the mom knows that even in the, um, she probably knows that even in evangelical circles, incest and rape are considered maybe okay reasons to get abortions. Like in some of these religious circles, I think some think that's the reasonable excuse. And then some call it an opportunity, you know, and they work in our government. Yeah. And she, the mom, you can tell is like, I don't want anyone to use the fact that this is a product of rape to have this baby aborted because that's all the mom fucking cares about. She does not give a fuck about how it came to pass. She only cares about meeting her grandchild here in this world, not in heaven. Again, why? It's like you're going to hell, Meet the baby in heaven, If you believe in shit, you're going to hell. You think this... That's, again, the arrogance of, like, God cares about me and my accomplishments and I'm going to heaven. And it's like, you're a terrible person. Yeah. If you think you're going to heaven, you're a fucking delusional dumb bitch. Yeah, like, why aren't you praying for the fact that you, like, stood by while your husband was raping your daughter and didn't know? Um, So, Olivia goes, however it happened. And it's like, yes, this woman is very sick and unhinged. So, we're getting a full look at her. Um, And now Evangeline is at the hospital getting the blood test, the fetal DNA test with Rollins. And she says, I'm telling the truth. And Amanda explains like, yeah, your mom doesn't quite believe you yet. And she asks Rollins, do you think God makes mistakes? And Rollins is like, 
I don't know, but I know humans do. And she's probably definitely thinking about her ex-boyfriend in the douchey hat. <laughs> um, and so Evangeline is like, well, maybe he doesn't make mistakes and this baby is part of his plan. And she asks Rollins to pray with her. And she thanks God for sending Amanda to help her. So it's like, I do kind of like, a, I like Rollins getting close to a victim, but... And the whole time, you almost don't know what, what Rollins' um, politics are on this. I think that's, like, kind of why they juxtapose it with the baptism. Like, you, like Rollins got pregnant while on the job, two separate guys. Like, I don't even think that abortion crossed her mind. So you don't really know what her stance is yet, right? So um, now she's talking to—Rollins is talking to Olivia, and she's like, Evangeline might be confused. Like, she maybe she never really wanted an abortion. She just wanted to be a kid. And Rollins is, like, raging that she just wanted to take her on a field trip to Planned Parenthood right now. So then we understand, okay, Amanda is pro is pro-choice. And that poor Evangeline suffered so much abuse, and now they want to send her back into it and force her to have his baby. Rollins is pissed. Um, as are we all, if you're watching this episode, like a normal person. And Rollins talks about her teen life. She's like, I remember just being so angry as a teen and wanting to leave and get out of where she was from. And now she has two babies and she worries about them constantly. And, you know, I think all of us with the current state of affairs, I worry about myself and my friends, but I do think about my daughter and like, I, I cannot believe she might grow up in a world where this, you know, she's not protected. But... Anyway, that's for later on. And now Kat interrupts to tell them that family court is ready to rule. So the judge is ruling that Evangeline can do what she wants. And the mom is like, don't kill my grandbaby. And she explains that her daughter has rights in New York. And then suddenly this bloated white man joins the party, which is how most reproductive rights legislation happens. Some bloated ass white man he walks looks in. like he would be in that movie Trouble with Chevy Chase and Demi Moore. Oh like my in God. The, yeah. Like he looks like he'd be working in the junkyard courtroom and causing <laughs> a lot of problems. Nothing but trouble, right? Nothing but trouble, yeah. <laughs> a favorite. A, a favorite... But it's just like about a bunch like John Candy playing a lot of weirdly deformed people. And that's what this man is. Yes. Yes. He does look like he could easily be a bailiff in the nothing but, but trouble. That's court. why, like, so much of SVU is so upsetting and like so hard to watch. But this one is truly like it enrages me in a way that, like, a lot of the other episodes don't. Like, I don't know yeah. what it is. I, it, when I see his fucking face, it's, like, so indicative of everything that happens. Like you said, it's, like, these fucking disgusting piece of shit guys just get to, like, trampede into the courts of New York and yell at everybody. Yes. It's shocking. Yes. No, it's a full... It is, it's like very meta. It's like the same way he barges in to this courtroom and tells everyone to shut it down is the same way as as he, as he wants the government to treat women's bodies. So it is very, yeah, symbolic. And he waltzes in and is like, I demand you halt these proceedings. Like, who are you, Ohio man? And he is Forrest and Graham, which is a, such a Republican name. He is from the Mercer County DA's office and he is there to protect the rights of unborn baby Miller. He has a writ of habeas corpus asserting that Evangeline is being held illegally by New York State and he has arrest warrants for all the detectives in the case. And he has one for Carisi and his boss too. And anyone who facilitates the murder of this baby will be charged with fetal harm and conspiracy to commit murder and will be subject to prosecution in the state of Ohio. And then he hands the judge an arrest warrant for her too. The balls on this man. And the mom acts like the, the look on the mom's face is like the real life Santa Claus just bre like breezed into the room. Like she is 
elated. And it's like, what a pudding-headed lunatic. And so now... At the top of Act 4, this pro-life loser is on the courthouse steps. I don't even like to say pro-life. Like, your good, our good friend Julia just posted this thing today that's like, I am pro-life because I am, like, pro-the-mother's life. I'm pro-universal health care. I'm pro-all kinds of life. That yeah, is not pro-union, pro-what's, yeah. um, like, base income for everyone. Yeah, universal no, I, income. Yeah. I always say anti-choice when I talk about these people. Yeah. I, that's like— um, I say anti-choice. That's smart. Okay. So this anti-choice lowlife is on the courthouse steps and he's just preaching. Like you can tell this man was like, my father but was But I a think pastor. pudding-headed lunatic works too. Yeah. <laughs> you can just do that. <laughs> so um, he's like, I might be a country lawyer in the big city, but I am here to advocate for this unborn child. And it's like, when we turn around from him, we get a full protest. Like, it's two sides. There's, like, the anti- anti-choice wackos on one side, and then there's these pro-choice pussy hats on the other side, and they're both just, like, have their signs up, and it's, you know, a full protest like you would see for any reproductive rights uh, issue, like, because everyone, everyone shows up for this issue. Um, so... This ADA from Ohio promises that he's going to investigate the stepfather, but that the baby is innocent of all sin. And then behind the protest, Olivia meets up with our friend Garland, a.k.a. Damore Barnes, and he's like, so we're taking on Ohio. And I love that he's kind of like, I can do that. I just, is that what we're doing? And Olivia's like, no, it's kind of more like Ohio's taking on us. Um, But don't worry, you got an arrest warrant too. (laughs) And he's like, look, I'm a deacon in my church. I believe in the sanctity of life, but hell no on a 13-year-old being forced to carry her rapist's baby. Which I do appreciate that that should not happen, but I also think that anyone should be able to get an abortion for any reason. Like, I understand that SVU can't really say that because they're walking the line as it is with this episode, I'm sure, with probably some of the people that watch, just judging by some of the uh, reviews of our podcast on Apple iTunes. Um, But definitely they're trying to say, well, but in this case, it's a young girl and it's a rape. It's like, yes, but in every case, this should be allowed. And, you know, we talk about this a lot. Most people are for abortion rights and it's like a few crazed, uh, like a small crazed percentage, but they truly believe in what they are doing, you know? Like they want to shut down everything and they work so tirelessly and so hard at it. And I think we um, took our rights for granted in a way. Because they've been mobilizing for decades. Yeah, but it's also, like, been a true gaslight ever since Trump got into office where everyone was like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And then here we are, you know? Um, So when you think a law is a law, I think people think that there's no way anything's going to change. And unfortunately, I guess it wasn't codified completely. But now we're in court and the judge is like, what the fuck is going on here? And this is, uh, the actress's name is Amy Brabson. She's a recurring judge all the time that we like on, on SVU. And she's like, what, sir, what in the Ohio are you talking about? And Bureau Chief Vanessa Hadid is there and is like, um, Ohio doesn't even go here. And Ohio is talking about this like it's a murder case. And Hadid is being very casual and like maybe that's the strategy. But they're going back and forth over whose laws should be enforced and Hadid is like, like, 
yeah, you just can't arrest New York detectives for following New York law. Like, you can't really do that. And I I hate Hadid mostly, but I kind of like her vibe here. She's like, this doesn't even, like, warrant, like, why are we here? And um, Graham is talking about abortion like it is genocide. He compares it to the Holocaust. His eyes are filled with tears as the judge denies his request. And that did feel really good. But that's what I mean. Like, some of these, lo- I, I believe most of them are just trying to control women and, like, keep people in poverty. I do. But, like, there are people who truly believe this. And that's why they're so crazed in how they function because they just are like, they're killing all these babies. And it's like, okay, but you're wrong. But okay. Like, that's why they're so wild. Yeah, yeah, And it's also like, fuck you for, for like trivializing the Holocaust in this way. That's another thing. Like, to compare this like um, vacuuming of cells to the Holocaust, like, yeah, we just passed the Holocaust Remembrance Day, and I think it's, like, we don't want people to forget, but just, like, one photo of people in a bunk, it's, like, the it's enough to ruin my fucking month, you know? It's, but, like, the most horrific thing. And this man doesn't things. care about Judy. This man doesn't care about the rights of Jews or anti-Semitism. Do you think that he's in Ohio talking about, uh, you know, helping draft legislation about anti-Semitic hate crimes. No, like, that's the thing. It's like, don't get the Holocaust name out your fucking mouth, essentially, is what we have to say to this man. Um, And he's like, I'm going to appeal this and I'm going to take it to the Supreme Court if necessary. And she goes, and that's your right. I just really love how everyone's talking to him. It's great. And now we're at a youth home for pregnant teens and Evangeline's talking to Rollins and she's like, my friends, my pastor, everyone's emailing me and texting me and telling me that murder's not the right choice. And it's like, oh my God, poor baby. And um, she's like, everyone's telling her she needs to choose life in front of the world. It's like, she's not allowed to choose her own life. She has to choose the life of this baby to be some kind of figurehead because now you can tell this case has probably blown up to national news. And um, Rollins is kind of like, well, the world can fuck off. Like, this is really about you. And Evangeline is like, what's going to happen to my stepdad? And she's like, well, you're never going to have to live with him again. But also, your mom's not really come around on that whole thing. So now at the precinct, Carisi rolls in saying, appeals court refused to even hear Ohio's case, which is great news. And even some anti-choice groups were like, okay, Ohio, you've gone too far. But the bad news is that family court doesn't want to rule until the Ohio warrants are dismissed. But like, she's already 12 weeks out in her to her pregnancy. Like we need to, you know, as you get into the second trimester, it becomes more complicated. So basically, Ohio is trying to run out the clock and they're trying to stay Evangeline's abortion until it's too late. And Kat says what we're all thinking, which is what century is all this? Like, why are all these old white men trying to control women's bodies? And how far off are we from The Handmaid's Tale? Which I truly had to stop watching. I think I watched the first to maybe partially into the third. And I was like, this I never is- watched it. Dystopia to me is not entertainment in any it way. It is for so- me ever. Listen, there's dystopia that's like the the Hunger Games where like people wear weird makeup and shit and they have to fight for food. But then there's like, this is so close. Like they they show you cities that you've been to and what they look like in this. Like it's, it's so, I, I had to stop watching it, especially after I had a kid. I was like, I can't watch this anymore. But Olivia's like, yeah, well, Kat, you're young. You grew up with Roe. Like, and we've all taken these rights for granted. Like my mother's only option was a back alley abortion. And she's like, the truth of it is, which, I just posted on my Instagram this morning, if you have money, there's always going to be a way. And it's poor women and girls who, in some of these states, who don't have access and, 
you know, maybe try to take matters into their own hands without the help of medical professionals. And she's like, we're going to see deaths. And that's where this is going. And Carisi's like, well, yeah, but the religious right already sees these abortions as deaths. And Kat's, Kat's like, what about you, Catholic boy? Like, what do you think? And he's like, well, what I think is what I think. But then he goes into this whole rape and incest argument, which is basically what I was just saying about this entire episode. And Kat's like, well, it sounds like you think a woman has to be a victim in order to have control over her own body. And Olivia's like, well, he's not saying that. And it's like, but is he not, Olivia? He kind of is, you know? And Kat's like, well, good. I hope he's not saying that because this is not stuff that needs to be decided by a group of men or a prosecutor who's never even had to make that choice. And Carisi's like, I'm going to do my job and uphold her rights. And I don't see this issue as black and white. In my experience, no woman wants to have an abortion. And Kat's like, okay, but fair enough, but these new laws are not the answer. And then luckily, a text message breaks the tension. And great news, our teenage rape victim just threw herself down a flight of stairs. So uh, at the hospital, Rollins is walking with Olivia and she's blaming herself. And then Tammy comes in running and is like, how are my babies? Like, she just cares about her daughter, I guess, a little bit, but mostly her grandchild. Um, and she rushes to Evangeline's bedside and Evangeline says, I'm sorry. And the mom says, oh, my babies. And she tells Evangeline, I'll take the child. Just all you have to do is give birth. And it's like, oh my God, all you have to do is give birth. Like all you have to do is one of the most physically and mentally traumatic experiences that a person can go through. Just do that 13-year-old victim of rape. Um, so she starts lashing out at Olivia for putting all these words into Evangeline's head, like rape and for getting her to hurt her baby. And then Evangeline's like, hey mom, I wasn't trying to kill the baby. I was trying to kill myself. Like all the pressure from people texting her saying, choose life, choose life got to her. And so now the mom is talking to Benson privately and she's kind of opening up a little bit more to her about her first husband, Evangeline's father, saying he'd hit me, he'd say horrible things. And he, he would say like, Evangeline's going to be a whore just like her mother. So great environment. And she goes, and then Jim was totally not like that. He's a kind man. He's a good man. I was a single mom with a nine-year-old. He adopted her and adored her. He was always so affectionate with her. And it's like, as she's talking, she's kind of realizing maybe some red flags that she never noticed. And she's like, Olivia goes, you heard your daughter. Like, I did not put those words in her mouth. Like, she's speaking her own truth. And then she goes, even if the DNA shows that it's Jim's, it's unique DNA. It's a miracle. It can never be replicated. Like, I can never agree to an abortion. So it's like, even though she's maybe coming around to the fact that her husband is a rapist, she's still never going to be down with the abortion. So, you know, Olivia goes, well, your choices are you can believe your daughter and leave Jim or Evangeline will grow up in foster care. And so now we're in court and the mom's on the stand saying she's sorry for not protecting her daughter. She says she does believe her and hopes that Evangeline can forgive her. And then the judge rules that Evangeline will be returned to ACS for two more weeks for the medical care that she needs. And then after that, she'll go back to her mother's custody, but she has to get ongoing counseling and James Miller must be permanently removed from the home. And then Langan says, yes, Ohio is prepared to enforce no contact between Jim and Evangeline. It's unclear if the Ohio DA is even going to prosecute Mr. Miller for this rape. So now Forrest and Graham, the Lindsey Graham cosplayer, and I truly at this moment just realized that they have the same last name, that he is 
this guy is just Lindsey Graham, essentially. Um, and he's yelling out to Carisi, like, well, you destroyed a family and ensured the murder of a baby. And Carisi's like, you know, I know that abortion causes a death. And he tells Graham about his mother's decision to terminate a baby that had a fetal heart defect, never told the father. She loved the baby. She cried for a week, but the baby would have only lived a few days and would only know pain. And again, a lovely story, but a fetus doesn't need to be doomed for a woman to have an abortion. So thank you, Carisi, but you know, not the point. And he says, we're not so different, you and me, and I can't believe that you'd let a man who raped his stepdaughter get away with it. So then the next scene, Rollins comes into Olivia's office and says that Mercer County confirmed with DNA that it it was the stepdad. And I, the whole time, kept thinking, it's going to be the pastor. It's going to be the pastor. I think I kept thinking of something else, but I was like, I bet it's the pastor. I bet when he, she said, you put the baby in me, she was kind of pointing to the pastor and then she just went with the dad, but... No, that's wrong. the patriarchal burden too. Is yeah, that that's patrimonial burden. Yeah. yeah, very similar. And... um so the stepdad, Jim, was charged with 114 counts of rape, and that's very perfect world. I feel like that would not happen in a lot of cases, but Rollins asks to punch out early, and Olivia's like, yeah, why don't you take some family time? But in the final scene, Rollins is actually with Evangeline at her abortion and helping her and supporting her as she gets it. And that's Dick Wolf, no baby. <laughs> that's great. Um, but... <laughs> It's also like, yeah, these people care so little about women that they would be okay with the stepdad continuing to rape his stepdaughter. Yeah. Like, I just don't understand the hypocrisy through all of it and just the packing of the court. It's really, um, it's a sad day. Yeah. Well, Lisa, I know you've got something a little different planned for us today. So I look forward to hearing all about it after these short messages. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So right now um, in our country, obviously, we're dealing with the rollback of all of our rights. And we talk about Roe v. Wade and being taken away and keeping it and states' rights. And it's like, what the fuck even is that? And I think sometimes, you know, we I've taken it for granted where I didn't really research further into it because I just assumed we'd always be able to get abortions, which was dumb. So I'm just going to give a little background on Roe v. Wade. It was a legal case um, where the Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to two that unduly restrictive state regulation of abortion is unconstitutional. This happened on January 22nd, 1973. That was the final ruling. And it basically ruled that a state law that banned abortion was unconstitutional. And going backwards, this is very interesting. Nothing new, though. But in the 1850s is when, like, abortion was even being talked about. Like, it was always down. It was always a part of life. Like, always. Um, and in the 1850s, a newly established AMA, the American Medical Association, began calling for the criminalization of abortion in an effort to eliminate doctors' competitors, such as midwives and homeopaths. So like huh. most things, it goes back to money, business, advertising. Like 
everything we do is just based on a rich group of white men wanting more money and not caring about any of the ramifications. To them, it was just like, oh, are there midwives helping women? Get rid of them. And that's why even our modern-day gynecology was created on experiments, unethical experiments on Black women. That is what our fucking whole medical professional gynecology is based on. It is all fucking bullshit. So fuck the AMA. And, you know, we disrespect doulas, midwives, home births, all of these things. And it's like, that is how women gave birth for centuries. Mm -hmm. And even longer. And to then kick them out to have men be in charge of the birthing process. It's so fucked up. Yeah. Other people that were against abortion in this time were like racist and xenophobes. So they didn't want a population of immigrants to take over. So they wanted to force white women into giving birth. Again, no one of good nature is for the taking away of rights, of reproductive rights. Um, And then, so the Catholic Church outlawed in 1869. And so... That's confusing, too, because it's like Catholicism was around forever. Like, why 1869 did they decide? No. And so by the 1880s, abortion was outlawed across the country. So now we're in the 1960s, and, you know, it's the women's movement. Um, In 1965, the Supreme Court struck down a law banning the distribution of birth control to married couples. I don't understand that. And then kind of opposite, in 1972, the Supreme Court struck down a law that prohibited the distribution of contraceptives to unmarried adults. Again, I so I, there were laws prohibiting unmarried and married people from getting birth control. It's very, very confusing. Um, and before Roe v. Wade's decision at all, abortion became legal in Hawaii, New York, Alaska, and Washington. So, Oh, I didn't even guys. know that. I didn't even know that those states all were legal before Roe Girl, v. Wade. Neither did I. Yeah. Um, it was written by Justice Harry A. Blackman, who believed the decision that a woman's right to privacy extended to the fetus and unborn child that she was carrying since a fucking fetus can't live, uh, like, outside of the body. Fucking idiots. <laughs> um And the court held that a set of, of course, Texas, this happened in Texas. So a set of um, Texas statutes criminalizing abortion violated a woman's constitutional right of privacy, which it found to be implicit in the liberty guarantee of, this is not my words, this is from Britannica, which it found out to be implicit in the liberty guarantee, I'm going to say it simpler again, but (laughs) guarantee of the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, which is no state will deprive a person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So a woman named Norma McCorvey in Texas sought to terminate an unwanted pregnancy. She had given birth twice before and gave those kids up for adoption. And with this pregnancy, she wanted an abortion, which was legal in Texas, but only to save, uh, if it was to save a woman's life. And so after not being able to get an abortion like wealthy women could by traveling to different counties or paying doctors off, she was referred to attorneys Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington, who were interested in challenging anti-abortion rights. The suit was against Henry Wade, who was the district attorney of Dallas County, where McCorvey lived. And he was popular because he prosecuted Jack Ruby, who killed Lee Harvey Oswald. So that's how he got, like, national notoriety. So June 1970, a Texas district court ruled that the state's abortion ban was illegal because it violated a constitutional right to privacy. Meanwhile, during this time, uh, Norma did give birth and put the baby up for adoption. 
Wait, so, sorry. Can I just, so the court case is against the district attorney. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like it wouldn't it be like Texas versus, Roe versus Texas or Roe versus No, because Roe went after them. So with these two attorneys. So she got these two attorneys that were like, wanted to take on anti-abortion uh-huh. legislation. And so they then su- went against Wade. Got it. Um, okay. Who created these like laws. Okay, got Within it. the county. Um, and-, and this all took so fucking long that she ended up having to give birth anyway? Oh yes. Oh my God. So she gave birth, put the baby up for adoption. Um, Wade still said he would continue to prosecute doctors who performed abortions. Cool. Hope you're burning in hell. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court. In January 1973, it was struck down. And the Texas law banning abortion was struck down and effective uh, immediately began legalizing the procedure nationwide. But then our girl Norma, after becoming a huge abortion rights advocate in the 80s, became friends with an anti-abortion Catholic and became a Catholic and is now a vocal opponent of the procedure. So that is very upsetting. And again, it's not about your personal beliefs. That's the whole fucking point. You can believe whatever you want. It's mm. about putting your beliefs onto other people is the issue. If you, But you, had, you should have a choice to do it. And if you don't want to have one, don't fucking do it. I also wonder, like, I also wonder if this woman, Norma, like, when she met this Catholic person too, like, she had just been the face and, like, the the figurehead of this movement and maybe it just, like, all got to be too much for her and she was just like, okay, fine, I hate abortion now. Like, it's easier to just go with these people than to keep fighting and be this person that everybody has made me. I mean, I'm just looking at it from a devil's advocate. She's not right in any way, but, like, you know a decade or so as like a decade and a half of like as the face of abortion and that that must have been tough on her you know yeah but she also like didn't have that choice so she's a little bit different in my opinion of these types of people mm-hmm. but the people that had abortions and then regret it or then decide to have kids or whatever they want to do then wanting to take that choice away from others yes. are the people that I think are so despicable yeah. like those are the worst people to me Um, and so in 1992, there was a big case that reached the Supreme Court and it was Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey in which the court upheld the central ruling in Roe v. Wade, but allowed states to pass more abortion restrictions as long as they did not pose an undue burden. I don't know what any of that means. Well, I mean, it's like, it it allowed them to say stuff probably to do more like heartbeat bills, quote unquote, that they call them, which by the way, should, they should not be called. Sure. But what's undue burden? Burden to who? Like, what does that I even think the mean? Undue, like, I think that's what people argue. It is an undue burden to have to travel 300 miles to another county or to have to, you know, take time off work and all the, or to have, you know, a screening process where you have to wait 48 hours and all that crap. That's all I think under undue burden, if you ask me, but I don't know. So in 2022, and that's what brings us here now today, um, the issue is the Supreme Court agreed to hear Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, which regarded the constitutionality of a Mississippi law banning most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And it is a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. And there, and here we are. Um, just a few weeks ago, the Supreme Court draft was leaked, indicating that they were likely to overturn Roe v. Wade. But... I just want to say Narrow uh, did a tweet and abortion is still legal. So if you're listening to this right now and you need to get an abortion, it is still legal in the law of the land. And, um, you know, people are fighting for you right now. But uh, the news is so overwhelming and everything is very hard. But as now, as it stands now, 
you can get an abortion and it is still legal. So um, obviously I know this is very scary. It's a lot to take in. um, But we also are excited that we are joined by a super special guest that can help us understand what we can do next and just give us more levity and information about the situation because it is so much. Yeah, um, we were really, really happy to a few weeks ago hear from the CEO of Planned Parenthood California, Jody Hicks, who happens to listen to our podcast. And she reached out wanting to give us a heads up about the likelihood of all of this happening. And um, she gave us some insight about how we got here, what the next steps are. And um, yeah, this conversation was actually recorded a few days before the leak happened. So at that point, we thought we still had a few weeks before that th- this um, went public, but now it obviously has. So a lot has changed. and um, But a lot of the sentiment from our talk with her and action items are the same. So guys, please enjoy our chat with Jody Hicks. I'm so excited to be uh-huh. here because I'm also a fangirl. Oh my so. gosh. Are you an, have you been an SVU watcher for a long time? I have, including when I had my child 12 years ago. It was the thing I would watch in the middle of the night over and over. So I've, I'm yeah. a huge fan and then have also listened to the podcast since since y'all started. So oh, amazing. Super we're excited so, to meet you. We're so honored that you like our podcast. <laughs> Love it. Well, yeah, it was really hard for us. Like when we were talking to friends, it's like so exciting that someone that like is so high up and working so hard with Planned Parenthood, listens and wants to be on. But then we were also like, well, this is a bummer that you have to be on and the reason (laughs) behind it. And so it was kind of like, oh, cool. And then like, oh, no. (laughs) Um, That's kind of everything. I mean, this is why we find the joy where we can. And this is definitely joyful. And also appreciate because I know having listened to you all that you've done shout outs for Planned Parenthood that you've been supporters. So, so really, really grateful for, for both of you. Yeah. I love Planned Parenthood. Huge supporter. But just to touch on SVU, um, would you, are there any like extra haunting episodes that live in your brain? Your favorite (laughs) detective hotties, like special guests, like any kind of favorites that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I mean, I think I'm with everyone that loves the tension between Benson and uh, Stabler. So love that tension, even with all of Stabler's faults that I think when you go back and watch them now, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how that would go today, but still love all of that tension. Um, But there, you know, and then, you know, always love iced tea. (laughs) Oh, we got... Uh, we're getting out. a message that Planned Parenthood of California, the staff loves Barba. We got <laughs> yes. a lot of we got a lot of members of the Barba Brigade. Yes, yes. So I guess with um, what's happening with Roe v. Wade, um, we were kind of naive and like everything will be okay. How everyone else. Um, And then the language of the email we got, and kind of when you dig deeper, it seems like it's an inevitable thing that might happen. So can you maybe explain what's going on to us? Yeah, so we know what 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 is happening. Sure. And this is where I become the Debbie Downer of every party. So <laughs> here I am. It, it is it's it's bad. And and understandable what people don't really understand that yet because Roe v. Wade has been the law of the land for almost 50 years, right? For most of us, we don't know that world that was pre-Roe 
we are about to enter a post-row world that we're sort of trying to imagine and prepare for. But what's happened is, you know, states have been passing these bans, especially in the last few years. But the courts over the last 50 years, this is settled law. And so they they pass a ban on abortion and then they petition the court to take their um, case and the court just passes it over because this is settled law as it has been for for almost 50 years. Well, we have a new court now and, and everybody has been warning about this and our fears have been realized and Mississippi passed a ban. That part is not new. They petitioned the Supreme Court to take the case. That part is not new. What is new is the Supreme Court took the case. And then they went a little further. And then they were like, oh, you're taking the case. Okay, well, we don't want you to just look at this 15-week ban and how it can be within the confines of Roe v. Wade. We want you to actually look at Roe v. Wade in its entirety. And the Supreme Court agreed to that, too. And we know we don't have the votes to be there. And so all things indicate that we are looking at a decision in June that is going to either completely overturn Roe v. Wade or, or likely gut it. And the effect of that is is nearly or over half the country. So there's about 26 to 28 states that will likely institute some type of ban. So when you say some type of ban, do you think that when it gets overturned, some of these states might completely abolish it, like not even 15 weeks, like just completely? So I think Would it depends in, on what their that, rights? Yeah, I think it depends on what that decision is. But certainly, I mean, some of them are passing bans right now and they're triggered, right? So depending on what the, the ruling is, they'll automatically go into effect. But, you know, Texas is banned and that's a whole, that's a separate issue that um, I can talk on too, but that's six weeks. Several of them are six weeks. Um, they're all doing things a little bit differently, but I think the second indicator is what happened in Texas, which they passed a six-week ban. And what they did is in, is the the mechanism to enforce that ban is, is not criminal. So it's not through it's the civil, courts. Yeah. It's civil. And but but by all other indicators, still unconstitutional based on mm -hmm. the law that we have right now. But the Supreme Court has let it go into effect. And they basically their inaction is an action, which is in effect no one in Texas can can get abortions or most folks because you don't even know you're pregnant until five or six weeks. And so um, yeah. Texas has been in, in effect now for months and folks have, have had to travel outside of the state of Texas to get services right now. So that's the truth. We need people to know and to take action that that's what's about to happen in the in the coming months. Well, what's also scary, it's like not only thinking of these women and girls who will have to travel state lines and figure out ways to leave their jobs and buses and tell people, but it seems like, especially with Texas, like, and I think Oklahoma, people can tell on you, you can be imprisoned, the providers, if you offer someone a ride, like it's truly the criminalization of any sort of freedom. It it's It just seems so scary and... I don't know the full story of it, but how did this all start? Wasn't this like not an issue? And then the evangelicals were like, oh yeah, let's make, let's pretend we care about this. Like how did this obsession with abortion and fetuses even begin? You know, that it has definitely 
the last decade has definitely been a really high increase in this being um, something that's sort of a systematic across the country way that that folks are trying to um, to institute this through the courts. And they've done it very systematic. So they've started at local elections. They've started at local court actions. And, you know, they've, they've been very systematic in the way that they've sort of wound through until we got here today. Um, and yeah, I would say prior to that, this was obviously abortion has always been an issue and a debated issue, but not to the level that it is now. And, you know, it always goes back to control. It always goes back to how you can control people and, and what they do and, and how they do it. And there's no better way to do that than forcing people to give birth. I mean, it's, we, we have all of the data on what that means for people. You know, that every study shows that for folks that are trying to seek an abortion and, and can't, um, they're four times more likely to end up in poverty and, uh, you know, they don't have the same economic opportunities. They don't have the same education opportunities. Um, and, and, and frankly, folks that can afford it will still be able to get it. And this always disproportionately hurts, um, people of low income and, and definitely black and brown folks. So, yeah. um, it's especially cruel. Yeah, I like the I don't like it, but the I think it resonates the the thing that goes around the internet that says, you know, this isn't going to ban abortions, it's going to ban safe abortions. You know, this is not this is just going to make it more difficult for people to do this safely. Like it's still going to exist, but, you know. Correct. I mean, it's one in four people that end up getting an abortion in their reproductive lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so that need certainly doesn't go away because of politicians, right? And so yeah. it just, and it, it affects the trajectory of someone's future. And that, that's the part that's, that's heartbreaking. And with these like politicians and people, how many of them truly believe like a fetus is life versus the people who are like, well, let's just control these fucking poor people. Like, they knowingly are tricking religious people into the, like, or do they really believe it? Like, when you meet these people out in the world and you're, meet, like, do they know what they're doing? <laughs> so, uh, again, you know, the the intersection with the people on the, uh, in the insurrection on January 6th and the same people that are protesting in front of our health centers it, are very much the same. It's very much still... Um, white supremacists and, you know, it's no longer the, you know, grandma with a, with a sign that is really caring mm. about this issue. It really is at least what we see and the folks that are, that are protesting all of the misinformation that happens on the internet, all of the trolling, the harassing, the, you know, it's definitely more, much more about that control. Um, and, and how you can control people and how you can be, you know, um, sexist and racist and, and all of the things that, that we know. I mean, it, it, it really is like such a, it's so weird because the right, the right wing is usually like, let us make our own decisions, keep government out of things. And, you know, unless you're gay or a woman. Yeah. Like it's, it's <laughs> Those like, are different. don't make me get vaccinated, but also I can force you to have a baby. It's like, it's, it make it, it's. So does not line up for me at all. It seems so insane. And yet 
Here they all Especially are. Especially when it's children. I mean, the episode that we're covering today, The Burden of Our Choices, and you watch SVU, all of the episodes are pretty graphic and upsetting, but this one's truly enraging, like difficult to watch. Like I'm pacing and I know it's a reality, but it's like, I don't understand how they live with themselves wanting children that are being assaulted to give. I just don't understand. It's really hard. And I don't know how to not be helpless. I guess, how do you stay not hopeless, helpless in all of this? And what can we do? Yeah. I mean, I think luckily one thing I'll say is I'm in California and I'm, and I'm grateful for the policymakers we have here. And so we just, after Texas, we really just rolled up our sleeves and got to work. And we, um, you know, it's normally that's legislative break time. And we just got together with, uh, with our other reproductive freedom allies and experts and everyone. And we, we put together a council and came up with 45 recommendations for what the state needs to do to prepare California for how we can see patients. And so, and then, you know, the legislature started, there's some eight to 10 bills that have already been introduced, putting things in the budget. So, so we're doing that work. I mean, I think for, for folks listening, it's, you know, donate to providers, donate to abortion funds, but certainly voting. And I think it's, it's more, we used to say, just make sure you vote. I mean, I feel like we're really back to basics right now. Like not just make sure to vote, but make sure the people you're voting for are really championing not just a person's right to choose, but really ensuring that we're investing right now, that we're not just voting, but we're ensuring that people have voting rights, that we're ensuring people have rights when it comes to LGBTQ or, you know, we're back to basic civil rights and making sure that that we're, we have to change this trajectory, right? We can't just sit by while can people continue to take away civil rights continue to harm whether people can even have a basic voting right. And so everybody has to do that work. And and we I say we're we're back to those basics, unfortunately. But I hope that we also learn from that and that we talk about things differently. You know, we launched a say abortion campaign so that we're talking about abortion and we're talking about it and normalizing it as healthcare. I mean that episode that we watched it really creates two real scenarios of um you know, why it's so valid if someone, you know, went from a 13-year-old who was a rape victim and then somebody else who had, you know, a, a, a pregnancy with a with a problem and had to make that decision. But really, we know every abortion is valid. Every reason that somebody makes that decision is valid. And 95% of the time, people look back and they are very happy with that decision. And it was helpful to the life they have right now. And I don't want to be asking people to talk about their most personal experiences because they shouldn't have to, but that really is where we are. People need to have the other side of that conversation and needs to be normalized and we need to to stay away from saying safe and and rare and and pro-choice only but that we actually talk about abortion and it's a it's a healthcare mm. decision, it's essential and normalize it. Yeah. I mean, I I have I have two children. I have never had an abortion, but I have had a DNC, which is the procedure that is an abortion. Like I had that for a miscarriage. And it's just like 
blows my mind that the government would be able to get involved with that in any way. Like, oh, no, do you have to see my records to prove that it's not a viable pregnancy? Like, to me, there's not really a line to it. Like, that's a medical choice with me and my doctor that I'm going to have this procedure done. And it doesn't, I, I just don't understand how they think that they're allowed into the these doctor's rooms to be involved in these choices. Correct. And I don't think that they're, and this will be the the second phase is I don't think people are understanding all of the ramifications, right? So for for what you experienced and what you just described, that's already happened in Texas where there has been someone who was having a miscarriage. The providers didn't feel like they could actually do the procedure that's necessary to 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 comfort her and to do what's medically necessary. And they put her on a plane to Colorado for somebody else to do it as she's, as she's having a miscarriage, you know, um, those things will exist. And then, and then the other thing we're looking at is half the country. We're going to have a generation of doctors where as they're doing their residency and training, it's actually illegal to do that procedure. So we're looking at a generation of doctors that won't get trained. So even, you know, it, for people that need procedures like a DNC for miscarriage management won't have doctors in the emergency room that maybe have been trained for those procedures because they trained in a, in a state where it's illegal. Um, I don't want to sound all hopeless because we're trying, we're, these are all the things that we're trying to find solutions for. So we're already partnering, for instance, with the University of Texas to have those residents come over to Los Angeles. I mean, we're, we're doing that, those things, but I think, you know, those are the conversations that, that people aren't having yet and aren't thinking about. I mean, it's, you know, you have daughters. I have two daughters as well. This will be the first time we, we think about where they go to college. And in half the country, they, we know they're not going to get services they need. And so, um, that, you know, all of these are, it's a new future for, for all of us. It's not something we've lived through. And so I think the hope is, is that as we start understanding what, what we know, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg understood when, when she fought so hard for these is, um, that, that we need to change the conversation and ensure that, that our daughter's futures are, are different. Yeah, because one of the flippant things that's said so often is just like, just put the baby up for adoption. Just put it up for adoption and like kind of dismissing that journey for people that are trying to adopt. But also like, don't women die giving birth all the time? And it's like a fuck, like a big thing that happens. Like, no, I've like so never flippant. been more, I've never been more pro-choice than since I had my own kids. Like I was pro-choice before, but like to force someone to go through what it does to your body and your emotional state and everything, like it's just, the the, the adoption like alternative is just so... Well, even in like, this episode, when the mom is like, all you have to do is give birth, I'll raise the kid. And it's like... And thirteen year old. Another thing that I really liked about the casting of this episode is you have the girl, you have everyone helping her, and then some old, disgusting man comes in legislating. And I just thought that that was so like, I don't know, symbolic of who is <laughs> making these decisions, just these out of touch, completely void of humanity men just rushing into make this thirteen year old give birth. I just thought that was like a very smart choice on the casting mm. no question but yeah and the episode was also interesting interesting and highlighting i think what we also know is they were 
much more focused on the the abortion issues and the the men that were involved and in, in on their soapbox about it were much less interested in the fact that she had been raped and abused right and so it just again goes back to it's it's not about caring about people <laughs> it's just right. not no it's total hypocrisy you're pretending mm-hmm. you care about kids in this yeah um what bothers me um why are men not understanding the severity and are not helping out? One of my big issues, I've talked about this on the pod, is like Joe Rogan has never mentioned abortion on his show ever in Texas. All he does is freedom, 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 nothing. Like how, why are the biggest men, the biggest sluts out there, people that are paying for abortion, like what can we do to get men to finally fucking do something or care or speak out or just anything to help. Why is this always such a women's issue? And again, what can we, no, what can they do? Like, why are, I I don't know how to, I don't know. It's really bothersome. Uh, No, I mean, I think, I think what's interesting is a couple things. One is you're completely right. I mean, that, that's always been true, right? When, back when girls would get pregnant in high school, they had to go to another school and the, and the boys got to, you know, high five people, the ones that got them pregnant. So, that's always been true. But we do need men to be talking about abortion and talking about it that way and not waiting for women to be the ones and leaders to always be the ones to, to be championing this. And, and that's, that is true more now than, than ever. I think what if I could say anything to any politicians that are listening is the, the polling is definitely on our side. So all of our polling and all of our focus groups show that, that abortion rights are top of mind and they want policymakers to do something about it. And so, um, you know, we're, again, we're fortunate in California. We do have a governor that is invested in, in talking about it and making it a priority in, in, in his budget. Um, and maybe that'll take hold with others, but it definitely should not be, we should not be leaving any civil right just to the people that are victimized. That, that should never be the case. Put that on a all, t-shirt. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> we all need to, you know, fight for human rights always. And it was nothing new. They've been on this journey since the 80s. Roger Stone, Julie, they've all known, this has been their grand plan since the 80s. And another thing why all the men in 2016 were like, calm down, calm down, let's just wait. And it's like, I feel in our bones, we knew what was coming. And I, you know, I was, I was in denial, I would say. Um, But I think we knew what was at stake. And it's hard, you know, I, again, I say this is, I've never known a world where I didn't have a Roe v. Wade protection. And so it is hard. We've heard the stories and, but they all seem like, you know, stories from long ago and um, now we're living them. And it is, it's, it is hard to wrap your arms around and your mind around that this, this is what's going to happen. But um, I need people to know that it is and that we need to take action. Okay, this week's guest, you guys are going to love this. She is an accomplished actor who has appeared in shows like True Blood and Graceland. And if you are a gamer, maybe you recognize her voice and likeness because she did all the motion capture and vocal stuff for Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. But to us, she is and will always be Detective Kat Tamine, who left us too soon. 
Guys, please enjoy our delightful chat with Jamie Grayheider. So, I mean, I guess we'll just start with our number one feeling, which is that we're both pretty pissed that Kat is gone. We talk about it all the time on the podcast. Uh, We really felt like there was more. We thought, like, you were going to be young Benson and get, like, molded and, you know, like... It was and just Finn had it felt, your back and yeah. like was kind of a mentor. And I mean, we saw your put like, yeah, you were probably pissed as well, or <laughs> all signs were pointing to yes <clears throat> until they weren't, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, because I remember people like, well, we were gonna talk about how are the SVU fans and online and all of that. They're very vocal. And I saw someone being shady to you and you had like a fun response. And you were like, <laughs> actually, not to my knowledge, bitch. Like you yeah. <laughs> And I remember us talking about, I'm like, look at these fucking people coming for Jamie. But yeah, disappointing news. And Demore. It was like, it was a weird decision for us. It it was a very weird decision, I think, for a lot of people. But there are so many dynamics and things that go on in the background that as actors we are not privy to. Right. So, I mean, and especially on that show. I mean, that's just how they work. They keep things fresh. Nobody's safe. And I think that's something that people have gotten used to over the years. Yeah. But of course, you never think they're coming for you, at least not that soon. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, like we had, um, we've talked to the showrunner from the first, like, you know, seasons two through 12, Neil Bear a few times. And he told, he was telling us like, yeah, a lot of times these cliffhangers at the end of seasons are because someone hasn't signed their contract yet. And you just don't even yeah. know if they're going to come back at the, at the end of the summer, you know? Yeah. So we know there's all kinds of behind the scenes stuff, but we was, I guess we just wanted to let you know that. We're upset. Well, um, I appreciate that. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> well, and there was so much, gr- like, uh, grow it, you know, like, sh- sh- there was just so many dynamics with the character of, like, coming in as an overachiever, but then realizing, like, oh, you can't pull all this stuff, and then, like, growing into this great detective, and we, I don't know, we were kind of excited for the journey, so. Did you watch SVU before you were on it? I'd seen it, you know, almost like Forensic Files when it's, like, on when you're in a hotel, yeah. You know, so I definitely was familiar with it. My mind's already a dark place, so I try not to give it too much fodder. So I wasn't ever like a regular <laughs> fan, but I was certainly aware of the sort of the pages in history that I was being scrawled into. Right. And speaking of the darkness, um, <laughs> were there particular episodes on your time there that you like learned newer things or were like, what the fuck this is like extra fucked up or just like extra haunting to you? I mean, the, the, the sad thing is, is every single episode we get a research packet with all the news articles that cover the topic that we are dealing with. So even though we say it's ripped from the headlines, meaning we're always like, you know, very on top of things and keeping it current in a way, it truly is in that we read these articles about these things actually happening in real life. And so I think that keeps you grounded and keeps you wanting to keep it authentic because you know that this involves real people. I mean, every one of these cases is heartbreaking. There is um, a case in particular, and I can't remember the title of it right now, where a man whose daughter was raped went and killed the man who did it when they were in court. It was a veteran who was in a wheelchair and in his character killed the man who raped his daughter when they were outside court. And that is based on this crazy ass story from back in the day when they were transporting a prisoner who was a karate teacher, I believe. Please don't quote me on all of this. This is the general sense. He was a karate teacher of a kid that he had been sexually abusing. 
and they were transferring him from one state to another. And they were in the airport and there was a lot of press around to document his transfer because it was a big case. And there's a man in the background and there's footage of this because the press was there. And you see the man being walked by marshals and you see a guy on the phone in the background at one of the phone banks. And he, without dropping the receiver, just turns around and goes boom and shoots him as he's walking through the airport with police escort, with all the press, immediately dropped the gun, put his hands up. They they took him into custody, but the dad just waited there at the airport and they have video footage of it. It's obviously very dark and really intense. Wow. But it's wild. It's absolutely wild. Wow. We have That's, to cover I that mean, one. We definitely will. I mean, this is a kind of a perfect segue in talking about how, you know, you're ripping things from the headlines that what we're talking about today as we're standing on the precipice of women losing their reproductive freedom in this country. And you know, the episode we told you we were covering this week is The Burden of Our Choices, which was your first episode as a detective, like on, yes. not as, like, as in the SVU squad. Like Welcome been to the squad undercover. room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like you really showing what you can do and like looking up tattoos artists really quickly and you know that kind of stuff. I already stuff. did it. So, I already got it. Yeah. Here it is. Every, like. Oh, you wanted me to look up new cases? I've looked up the last 10 years of cases. Um, So we love that. We stand an Ivy League uh, detective, but what was the, I mean, what was the vibe when you guys were shooting this episode? Because I, I know it was a few years ago, but we've always thought this was kind of possible. Was there conversation on set? Like, was this like, you know, some of the SVU audience we've learned because we're very liberal and we're very outspoken. We get, you know, people that try our podcast because they just like SVU and then they don't like our politics. So you do have like a very, there is a lot of the middle of the country that that watches the SVU. So I think even doing an episode like this is kind of like walking a line for probably NBC and Dick Wolf and all that. So I was just wondering like, what was the vibe? What was the conversation when you guys were shooting this? Yeah, I mean, we obviously have a stance on sexual assault and how we represent all of that, but it is, you know, very different when you're trying to take a stance on a very highly political issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that the show tries not to be too opinionated because it wants to sort of present all sides, which I believe it did very well in the episode. Um, But I, you know, I watched it back before joining you guys today and it's the things my character is saying. They're like, what, what is this? The 1950s, like, what's happening? And the fact that every the entire conversation that I had on screen can be had right now about what's happening is just insane. Yeah, and because you're the one that, you know, SVU is doing a little bit of like an excuse episode too, where it's like, yeah, but she's 13 and she's been assaulted. And your character is very like, yeah, but a woman doesn't have to be a victim to have a choice. So no. You know, and, and pro-choice, you know, it's not pro-abortion. It's pro, I don't get to tell you what to do with yourself. Yeah. My politics, my religion, my ethics, whatever it is that I believe just doesn't, you know, in my mind, separation of church and state should take care of something like this, but it's become much more than that as yeah. well. And was there discussion on set? Like, was this um, some, like, would you guys discuss the packets with each other or not really? Not too much, actually. I mean, I have, I probably dove deeper than most because I, I don't know how they would do that for 20 years, continuing to read all of this, you know? And I think in the beginning, too, I was like really trying to find my place. So I wanted to make sure I had all the information. 
you know, I think it's different for every member of the cast and I'm sure it's different for every episode depending on what your role is in it because they kind of, you know, they swap us in and out of this person has, gets to have a personal moment or this gets to be a personal vendetta episode for them and they go to the next person and you're back to kind of repeating the same six phrases over and over again, you know? Yeah. And so they kind of <laughs> distribute it in that way. Um, we would talk about things, but I even think we'd come in and talk more about current events even if it wasn't relevant to the actual show, just more like, standard coworkers, you know, everything's so intense and so dark all the time that we tried to lighten it up as far as our personal interactions, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Speaking of the personal, sorry, I was wondering, um, the boxing episode we saw on your Instagram, you're into boxing. Was that tied in for you and kind of bringing in a part of yourself into the show or how did the boxing episode come together? It was really great. You know, Warren, who came back to being showrunner my first season, who kind of created my character, wants to work in reality as much as possible. So the character was initially slated to be Latina. They made her Middle Eastern because that's my heritage. You know, they kind of go into what makes you tick because he just loves for things to be grounded in reality. It helps the show. So they knew that I loved boxing and was into boxing. So they decided to make an episode around it. And I was so excited and also really nervous because it's very different boxing on camera than it is in per like in a training scenario because you do things very differently like you do certain things for camera angles that you wouldn't necessarily do in an actual boxing thing so I was trying to find the middle ground but that was I mean it's amazing when you can take a little bit of ownership over a character or an episode especially on a show like SVU where you're kind of a piece that's being put in place it's not really you don't get to necessarily weigh in as much as a show with new characters yeah well, I'm I'm really interested too in like how because you're like the character was originally supposed to be Latina, like the, this and that. How did you get to this character? How what was the process of you getting on the show? Like we talk to people all the time that are just guest stars, um, but we've talked to cast members too, and they kind of tell us how like the rounds went or whatever. But like, did you have to go in for like multiple multiple rounds of auditions? Like, what was the like? Did you had you worked with? I know you'd been in the Dick Wolf universe on something before. Like, did they know you? Like, how how did that all go down? Yeah, were you? You were regular at Chelsea Piers. <laughs> I was not. Um, I had actually never auditioned for SVU, I don't think, which is crazy. I'd auditioned for Chicago's and things like that. But I'd never, I don't think I actually auditioned for it before. But I was actually in a very slow period. I hadn't worked for about a year and a half. And I was doing a lot of taped auditions, which I hate, which is what everything is now. Um, so I went to my coach and I was kind of in a bad mood and taped this audition for SVU. And at the time it was, you know, in a guest star that's a possible recurring, possible regular. They hadn't said anything yet. I did my audition. I watched the tape back and my coach was like, I think it's great. And I watched it. I was like, I'm not doing anything. This is boring, you know? And he was like, no, this is perfect. He's like, this is what they want is like, just like very straightforward. And I went home, forgot about it. And like a week and a half later, I get a phone call that I'm on hold. And then a couple of days later, they call and they told me I booked it. So I I just sent in a tape and I've never booked off a tape in my entire life of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tapes that I've done. I've always booked when I go in the room. So in this case, to book off of tape, I essentially auditioned for two episodes. You know, they kind of didn't tell me I was a regular until episode three or four that I was in. So that was sort of the second round of auditioning, but I I got the job off of a tape, which still blows my mind. (laughs) 
Yeah, because you go under the undercover. Yeah, yeah, you go undercover for I'm going to make you a star. But then the next like four episodes later on the series, it's like cats showing up with her box of stuff. And like (laughs) you're a regular, it feels like. So I was wondering, like, so I guess you just did that first one. And then they were like, oh, by the way, you're going to be back and you're going to be like joining the cast as like one of the main detectives. We shot the first episode in July and then I didn't do the next episode. And then I, I did the third and fourth. I mean, I think it was around September that they called me. I was walking around New York and they called me all in one room, all the producers and showrunner and everything. And like, hey, we want to make you a regular. And I was so excited. Oh my god! And then it was like, well, I guess I have to find a place to live because I came from LA to do the show. And they'd been putting me up. So then became the business of moving my whole life. My uh, now husband, then boyfriend was on a show in Florida. So he was... We were long distance and I just had to stay in New York, find us a place to live. And then he went back to LA, packed up all our stuff. He finally got out to New York in February of 2020. And then two weeks later, everything shut down. Oh my gosh. So you and your character, obviously very close to Finn. Um, Can you tell us about you and Ice-T? Have you met baby Chanel? Um, You know. (laughs) They're the best. (laughs) Um, We've seen them the most out of anyone, I think, since uh, we stopped the show. We hang out with Ice and Coco every couple months. Um, Oh, wow. So double dating with Ice and Coco? (laughs) Can't believe that it's like a sentence that comes out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, They're wonderful. They're the nicest people ever. Uh, Ice much like he did on the show in real life, really took me under his wing. And we had a lot in common because I'd been working at a recording studio in LA when I first moved there. And I don't know, we we just vibed really quickly and really easily. Um, and so even still, like if I need advice on something or if I just want to tell him a story and he'll always have a funny take on it, you know, I think one of my favorite things about Ice is he doesn't hoard knowledge and he doesn't hoard experience. He wants to share it and and he wants to take the things that he did right and wrong and use them as examples for other people. And I really admire that. Yeah, and that's how we get those ice cold facts that he does on Twitter. I mean, we need those yeah. on Twitter and, um, and Instagram. Like Uncle Ice, advice with ice, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, that's what a lot of people said. Diane Neal came on and said that um, he was teaching her, you know, always get your money. Don't like let always, anyone else yeah. touch it first. And then, yeah, we had some cute guests. <laughs> yeah, we've, we're big fans. We got, we've been able to like go do live shows with this podcast now. And recently, one of our listeners painted a beautiful ice painting that I just Amazing. sent to the framer. So I can't <laughs> wait to get it framed. And back in the framer was like, oh, can you let me design this? I can't wait to frame this. I can't believe it's ice. So we were very... I love that. That's hilarious. Excited. He's very beloved. <laughs> he is. And everyone is wonderful. I mean, I was so nervous. Not only had I not worked, I was just like, I'm going into this established group and, and I'm the new person. So yeah, I was like, just try and get in without mucking up the works. Just get right in the flow. And everyone was just so lovely. I mean... You know, Marishka and I have a hilarious relationship. I love busting her chops, you know, and and Kelly and I, she beat me on the Monday crossword one day and I was not happy about that. <laughs> or we give to the crap about, you know, she loves the Braves. I love the Nationals in baseball. Um, oh. Peter is just such a goofball, has a million voices and a million characters on, like, just on demand whenever you need it. Um, so it, the personalities are very different between everyone, but... It makes for a really kind of fun, unique work environment. Well, yeah, I love that it's awesome. just kind of like, a, it's a very cool job, but it is just the job that you guys are like talking about your crosswords. 
Yeah, I mean, to other people, you see a certain way, but like we're coming in, we're losing our coffee cups. We're <laughs> realizing that like we left our phone on our desk for that take, you know, or, you know, there's always little things going on and and kind of getting into personal life is what makes you remember that this is your job. It's a nine to five, like anything else. So yeah. you're in between takes and just messing with each other. Or, you know, we also have an amazing crew. So the crew makes it fun. They're all in on it, you know. It, I love the bond between the two. I hate when when you feel like there's a separation. That's never Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. No, and I love the relationship between you and Ice. And you could even see it after you, like the first episode after you leave, uh, Finn is like not letting anyone sit in your seat. It's like very cute. Like like his best friend moved to a new school and he's like, you can't sit at her desk. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was upset. He was upset when I left. Yeah, I but- bet. I'm grateful that, you know, we all keep in touch. I mean, what do you think, though? Like, they bring people back all the time. Do you think it's like a never-say-never never type of thing? Maybe Kat comes back from season 27 or something? Like, I like to think that they killed me and brought me back to life for some reason. Yeah, that's you know? true. They could have just let you die, I guess. I was like, <laughs> I was like, only on SVU would you guys kill me, bring me back to life, just for me to still leave. I was like, <laughs> you guys are just pulling on people's heartstrings here. You know, <laughs> But shooting that that episode was was fun and hilarious. I was covered in blood the whole time, so I was like just helpless. Like I'd be stuck, strapped down in an ambulance, and everyone's looking at some funny video on the DP's phone. I'm like, "Hello, I can't move. Can we please shoot this?" Like it just wasn't also in line with Kat's character. I felt like like I just didn't see her being like, "I got shot once. I'm out of here." She really like went out on the line for her job. But did she ever annoy you? I know you have to love your character maybe a little, but like when she was breaking rules in the beginning or not listening and like pretending to be the aunt and all that, but then it turned out good that you did that. But were there parts where you were like a little annoyed with Kat or never? Well, sometimes when I watch it back, you know, the first couple episodes when she's like super tough, it's funny to me to watch (laughs) that, you know, but I get it. And then I know why it's like that. Um, But I had so much in common with her. I mean, it was amazing the way art and life were kind of reflecting each other because she was the new person in the squad. I was the new person in the squad, you know, trying to prove myself while she's proving hers. I I mean, Jamie tried to do it a little more subtly. Than Kat, maybe. Um, I'm definitely more you like, I've read the scripts of every single episode of the show. <laughs> that would have been the equivalent. Exactly. I have watched all 400 something episodes, whatever it is. Um, no, and then I think... I've always been someone, I mean, since I was a kid where I'm someone who likes to find my boundaries as opposed to being told them. So like, I know the rules once I've broken them and they're like, you can't do that. And I'm like, okay, fine. I guess I can't do that. Like stepping over some kind of a chain and being like, I'm going to go walk this way. Like just, I feel like that's something we do have in common is her kind of feeling like, "Eh, if it's well-intentioned, I'm going to try it my way first. And then someone's going to be like, eh, not how it works. Yeah. And then how did it feel like, I know you you sort of addressed this when you did your like, um, you know, post on Instagram about leaving the show that, but like, how did it feel to be like, have this huge responsibility of being one of like the show's only openly gay characters? I mean, BD Wong, we spoke to him on the show, on our podcast, and he was like, you know, they kind of just had him announce that he was gay one time and then never addressed it again. And your character, at least we got to see some relationship. We got to see a little bit more. So like- but it's it's twenty. It's like in its twenty something season when you were on it. So like it seems like it took a long time for them to get to you. And um, yes, you know, that's what made me the most upset. Honestly, I mean, as an actor, you want to work regularly. That's amazing. Losing that 
sucked. Losing money sucked. But what I felt, you know, kind of most upset about was just the fact that all these people who previously hadn't had representation were losing that. Yeah. Both as a member of the LGBTQ community, as a Middle Eastern woman who's just a regular person in society who also happens to be Middle Eastern and she doesn't have an abusive husband who's controlling her and she's not part of a terrorist organization and she's not a spy. Like, yeah. It was nice just to be like, I'm a regular person who also is bi and I'm Middle Eastern. Yeah, I'm Lebanese. And I thought that they handled that stuff really, really well when I was on the show. And then when they got, I just don't think. I can't speak to anyone else's intentions as to whether or not that impact was considered. Um, But I do know that it was really important to a lot of people to see her. And Mm -hmm. I continue to advocate for different social justice causes, you know, because that's still important to me as a person. That wasn't a trait that I borrowed, you know, from Kat. And so that's why, you know, doing those things, you know, people send me messages all the time that, My character helped their parents accept them. You know, it it was like, again, just portraying somebody whose identity wasn't solely their sexual orientation or solely their, you know, cultural identity. You know, it just was nice to have that just be moments in my personality. Yeah, totally. Damn, yeah. And it was like a double fuck you because it was you and Damore Barnes at one. It was just like, it was very confusing as a fan of the show, but we don't have to keep uh, talking about that. Um, We recently talked to Delaney Williams, who is a DC person. And so we were wondering if you guys uh, cross paths in DC and I saw you guys follow each other. So we really loved him a lot. Yes, we worked together. I can't remember if we did more than one or just one episode right now because he's in so many things. I'm like, am I picturing him twice in my show or in every other show I see him in? Uh, he was so lovely and we definitely talked baseball and we still, you know, we'll send messages back and forth. Like if he sees I'm in a game, he'll heart that or, you know, <laughs> we definitely have that in common. I mean, DC people are really into their identity and I, and I'm, I am too. And were there any guest stars that came through that you were extra excited about or you bonded with? Like, um... Well, talk about baptism by fire. I had never seen Deadwood and my husband loves Deadwood. Oh, my husband loves it too. And he was like, uh, we were talking about it. I was like, I really want to watch it. He's like, I will totally start from the beginning with you. He was like, you're about to see my one of my favorite characters of all time. He was like, Swearingen is one of my favorite characters like on anything ever. I'm watching it and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, Ian McShane is so good. Like the show is so good. And then a week later, I booked this job. And then two days later, Warren calls me to tell me that they have cast Ian McShane as the <laughs> Harvey Weinstein character. And I was like, what? Oh my God. I was God. like, Michael's going to be more excited when I tell him <laughs> that I am going to be assaulted by Swearingen <laughs> than he is about me getting the job. Uh, so that was just some weird ass timing that I had just been introduced to his work as that character. And then within two weeks, I was in New York shooting with him on set. Yeah, I was just telling Lisa about who he is on that show and how he's like, says cocksucker every other word and is like a real, like, <laughs> yep. just like, he is like the heart of that show, Deadwood. But As gruff um, as it comes. <laughs> yeah. 
I guess I was going to ask, I know you said you you got a lot of nice messages from fans and stuff about Kat and, and like, you know, what she represented for people. But did you, how did you deal with the fandom in general? How like, you know, unhinged some of the SVU fans are. And like, especially when there's a new person, I feel like there's a lot of people that are like, I hate this new person. And then there's a lot of people that are like, give her a chance, you know? So, <laughs> Well, luckily I had been primed because I also was in Call of Duty and and I think video game fans are far more opinionated and aggressive oh, yeah. in their opinions. And I was the first female that they had had lead one of their games. So there was a whole lot for people to have to accept when I did that. So in Call of Duty, I mean, after I did that, I would have people, I mean, say shit like, I hope you fall down a flight of stairs, go this drink This is your like a voice in Call of Duty? I, I The character looks like me. I did all the performance capture. It looks like me. Oh, and, wow. Wait, so did you and Ice really bond over that? Because we know that he loves video games. Was he yes. like, Call of Duty, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, he was so excited. He's, I mean, he's like your biggest cheerleader always, you know, which I think is so wonderful. Um, or you'd, we'd be in our dressing rooms and you would just, if you had your door open, you would just hear this like, <laughs> from down the hallway. And you're like, and if you're a guest star, like they like stick their head out. And I'm like, Ice is playing video games. It's fine. You know, like, you know, when he's in his dressing room. Um, but the Call of Duty fans, a lot of them were super excited and the military and women in the military were super excited because that was another representation opportunity that I had where I went and worked with women in the military who were being represented by my character. And, um, but the fans, man, it, they can't just be like, man, I didn't like it. They're literally like drink bleach. Or one person wrote Mount Rushmore called they want one of their noses back. Oh. Was it Intimidation Game? Um, during, there was a video game episode um, kind of based on Gamergate. And the it's the lowest rated on IMDb because the gamers are so out of their mind if anything is not for them. Like they can't yeah. just be like, oh, I'll play these other thousands of games that are for me. This isn't for, I hate women, whatever. Yeah. But like they truly like, it's the worst reviewed one ever because of Gamergate. It's and they all, they come out in droves. Like whatever they all decide to do as a pack, like they'll decide they'll just do it, you know. And on SVU, I got a decent amount of I don't like this new girl. She thinks she's this. She thinks she's that. And and there's a difference between somebody having an issue with me as an actress and someone having an issue with my character. If my character annoys you, that means I'm doing something right because you right. see it as a person. You see them as a person as opposed to like what is this actress doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're like, cat's annoying. Why does she keep sticking her, you know, her nose into everything? It's like, that's what she does. Those um, are the words written on the page. <laughs> yeah. And also, again, like that doesn't insult me. People, of course, come out of the woodwork when I got, when, when my character left, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, thank God. I was wondering when they were going to do this, all these things. And they'll write it right on my Instagram. And you'll see someone else be like, man, couldn't you have written this on a fan page somewhere? You don't have to go to her personal page. And like other people will come yeah, yeah. to the rescue. Or I love effing with like trolls. They think I'm just going to ignore it. And I'm not like, hey, F you, man. Like I always try and like flip it around on them and like be a smart ass. Because I think it's important to remind people that there's a human behind yeah. that entity on both sides. So I'm like, Oh, you didn't think I was going to write? See that you just insulted me? Cool. Well, I'm going to come up with some kind of comment to like <laughs> dig you back in a way that's not like bullying, but it says like, hey, I'm here. 
Yeah. No, people are wild. I can feel that, you know. Sometimes it's just like a photo of me and my nephew and people will come and write mean things. And it's like, on this one? Like, I don't understand why you have to, like, I have a family. I don't get why you would think my nephew wants to see you write mean shit to me. It's like, <laughs> it is strange the decisions people make and when yeah. they want to Yeah, and they tag PETA all over the place when I show, I have a picture of me with like going fishing. And like, I'm literally holding up the fish I caught. And then I show on the next slide the ceviche I made two hours later, like, well, you go to the store and you just buy your fish. You know, yeah. and like, people would be like, at PETA, what are you doing? This is so messed up. And I'm like, y'all need to He's- save that for the factory farms. Like, <sighs> don't come for me because I don't care. Yeah. I can't believe I you're making your own ceviche. That's really impressive. Thanks. Well, like and speaking of you cooking, and you mentioned your social activism before, like we were noticing that you're involved in so many different groups. Like you do work with veterans groups and mental health, and you were at the Polish-Ukraine border to volunteer when this all started. That's like, wow, very cool. And um, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, like I w- well, I was wondering if like you and Mariska bonded over your like civically minded personalities, and also just. What are these organizations and like, how did you get involved with all of these things? I started working with veterans in the armed forces a lot during Call of Duty because during my training, I was working with retired Navy SEALs and um, different officers from the Navy. And it turned into me doing a lot of outreach because they were like, you're essentially a poster child for women in the military now. And people believe that seeing your character in that position in the game will help people to accept females who are in the military in real life, which I was like, well, that is a lot of responsibility, but if that is the case, like I'm going to commit to it. And it started with training and outreach for the game. And then it just became something that resonated with me. I quickly made the distinction between when I have an issue with our government's use of our military versus the actual people that make up our military, because they serve blindly, essentially, when it comes to politics and their political viewpoint, because it doesn't matter who's in power. They are their commander in chief. It doesn't matter Mm. if they agree with what they're doing. They follow and they're loyal. And I feel like that's an important distinction to make because people, I think, sometimes blame the individuals who are either doing it because they want to fight for rights or they're doing it because they want to be able to go to college and afford it, or they're doing it, you know, because it's a family tradition. There's just so many motivations for why people are there. And when you realize that they don't possess anything differently from you or I besides the will to serve, you realize that the situations are being put in really are intense and challenging. And we expect them to come back and be the same person they were when we left. And we don't know how to react to that. So if I can do things to help educate the civilian population, I think that will help to create a softer landing pad for veterans when they come back post-service. For me to just know some vocab, for me to know a little bit about what their job or what their time entailed. To be able to say to a neighbor, not just thank you for your service, but man, how long were you deployed? What kind of vehicles did you work with? What kind of ordinance? Like people appreciate it when they feel like you are aware of the sacrifice that they've made in in more detail than simply just saying thank you, which is not unappreciated. Right. But I just want people to understand what it is that they're thanking people for when they say that, really what's being asked of them on a daily basis. And it's good that veterans organizations exist because I don't think that our country really takes care of the veterans when they come back, so... No, and I was in the cafeteria. I watched my friends get recruited with these heroic brochures and all these things. And some of them never made it back. They went when they're freaking 21. They went when, I'm sorry, one of them went when he was 18 years old. He didn't make it to 25. And he signed up because he he wanted to serve and he wanted to get college paid for because his family couldn't afford it. 
So you're in the cafeteria eating your lunch and there's people there at a table telling you what this experience will be. And you come home and you're left with the mental and physical burden and the government just can't keep up. So yeah. with that said, these organizations that I work with, specifically the Student Veterans of America who provide campus liaisons for post-service higher education. So if you're a veteran going back to school because you just got out of service and now you're trying to get your bachelor's or even a higher degree and you're a reservist and someone has to explain to your professor why you can't be at the final that day because you've got, you got called up from the reserves. And so there's a liaison on... I believe at this point it's over 1,500 campuses in the United States where they have an SVA chapter that helps those veterans when they come back to go to school. Um, the Call of Duty Endowment places veterans in high-paying full-time jobs post-service, which is wonderful. And then NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, they have been someone I'm so happy to work with because it works for all of it. Mental health is an issue in the LGBTQ community. Mental health is an issue in the veteran and armed forces community, you know, that really kind of peppers in all of it. And then when you talk about disaster relief, I've always monetarily supported World Central Kitchen, but this was the first time when I was like, why don't I go? Why not? It seems crazy. It seems weird. It seems far away and impossible. And I was like, it's not though. And so we decided to go, my husband and I, and we went six days later to Poland. There's a few episodes of SVU that are based on military stuff. Some favorable, some not. MST is a really serious problem. Military sexual trauma is yeah. a very, very big issue. That was actually my um, next question because I, you know, we do an episode and then the true crime and one of us, we split it. And I did the research for um, a female officer who was assaulted and it was this big Rolling Stone article back in the day. And I was wondering, talking to the women that serve, if you, what's the difference or have you, did you hear a difference or like their experience or if you can touch on with your expertise working with these organizations, what it's like for women and, you know, what can be done within the military or something. I don't know. Whatever you can it, talk about. Well, it, you know, that was what was really interesting to me is I didn't realize how prevalent MST was until for SVA every year. This was my sixth year. I host their national conference every year. Their big like banquet that they do at the end of every year. So I've done it six years in a row. And when I went after my, after first starting SVU, so I, it's every January. So I had been doing SVU for about, you know, five months or six months or so. Then I went and did the, the yearly banquet. And I initially started that because of Call of Duty and a friend of mine who was like, you're in a military video game. Would you want to come host this banquet? And then it just has kept going. So with that said, I went, you know, after I started uh, SVU and everyone came up and started talking to me about it but they hadn't prior because it wasn't really something that was relevant to me in that way. So it wasn't until I started SVU and I started going back to these military things where people were like, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. Mm. My friend was a victim, you know, and, and they're just coming up. And one of the most remarkable things about the show is that people, oh my God, to get emotional. People are like willing to come and share like their most vulnerable moments. And when they meet you on the street, Oh my God, you're the girl from SVU. Oh my God, my, my uncle molested me. And like the show has helped me so much to realize like it wasn't my fault. Like, and they're immediately sharing with you what I consider to be like some of the most like intimate moments of their lives. And you're like holding a hot dog. And you're, and you're like, ah, it's so, I'm so sorry that happened. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, I'm so glad the show brings you comfort. But 
you have to like learn how to reckon with some of that very quickly and and not do this, not cry. Like yeah. if someone's like tells you something that happens and they're like, so anyway, can we take a picture together? You know, and I'm like, oh, oh God, like yeah. because they've processed it, right? And I haven't necessarily. So that part of it, um, both in the military space and in the public space was alarming, but also to know that certain forms of entertainment can bring comfort is is part of what makes me want to continue doing this job, even on the days when I feel like it's a horrifically abusive industry. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know how... To... <laughs> the next question I have is very off topic. Very, uh, <laughs> go ahead. As... See, that's what it feels like. They're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, God, now let's take a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just... Um, and Yeah, it's incredible to hear all the work you do and that you went over to like feed people. You know, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's as self-serving as it is selfless. You know, I feel like I'm in a period where I don't know what's next exactly. And I'm a bit of a transition. And so when you don't have somewhere to go and something to do every single day, it can be hard to continue to motivate yourself. And so it's one of those things where I was like, I'm not working on a job. I have a flight credit. I don't have kids. Like, why not? And, and to have something to put myself, to put my effort towards that it was like very concrete and, you know, eight hours a day was as much for my mental health as it was for the support of all the displaced Ukrainian people. You know, it can be both. <laughs> yeah. And you're doing a new video game, right? I did another Call of Duty and I've done some other ones. I actually did it in my own closet during quarantine. <laughs> um, uh, but right now... You know, I did a Hallmark movie in the fall, which could not have been more different than where I came from on SVU. I know, we were going to ask you about well, that. Well, that's what I was going to... But both so iconic. Like, you joined this iconic show and then to have, like, a fucking Hallmark Christmas movie, it's just, like, two very iconic institutions. Yes, and they just are such opposite ends of the spectrum. It's like SVU, it's like, you know, people are there, like, talking about rape, and on Hallmark, they're like, rape doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> Men and women you know, love each but, other, always. <laughs> Do you have a dance background? Because I saw like a preview of it where you're kind of doing a little ballet move and you look very balletic. Like I, that you look like you so dance. so kind of you. I cringe. <laughs> um, they called and offered me the part, which is the first time that ever happened to me in my life. I've never been just offered a part. Usually it's grueling and anxiety inducing. <sighs> um, and they were like, she's a dancer. And I was like, okay, cool. And they're like, and she's Latina. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not Latina. And I don't play Latina anymore. I used to when I was younger. And these days, like, it's just not something you do anymore. We're not all trying to get canceled. Yeah. Plus, what's wrong with Middle Eastern representing diversity? And to their credit, Hallmark was like, great. We'll change the name. We'll make her Middle Eastern. And all I continued to repeat was, I'm not a dancer. I'm not <laughs> about just making sure, you know, they're like, all right, sending over contracts. And I'm like, once again. <laughs> I am not a dancer. I'm like, well, she's like retired after a bunch of injuries and she'll only have to do a couple little things. And I'm like, okay, well, the amount of work I put into doing like 30 seconds of dance is absurd, but <sighs> ballet is legitimately the hardest thing, that physical thing I've ever tried in my life. Even after all the military training? <sighs> Absolutely. That's why you have to yep. be 12 years old to excel at ballet. I mean, it's not even for, like, you can't find a ballerina who's over 25, really. I mean, it's a young lady's game um, or man's game. <laughs> yep, exactly. But it's it's a remarkable, it takes remarkable athleticism. And I'm glad I was yeah. in decent shape generally before I went. Um, but that experience 
really solidified how much I had learned on SVU because I was kind of the, as Ice put it, and he wanted to make sure I didn't forget it. He said, you know, you are the big fish in the small pond there. And he's like, don't forget that. Yeah. And not that I need to carry myself any sort of way. He was just like, be confident. Like, you know what you're doing. And I got on set and I felt like all the hundreds of days I had on SVU all of a sudden made me so much more confident and and experienced on a set in general. And so that was kind of a cool thing to realize when I got to Hallmark. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's like a sense memory, I guess, just being, you know, a muscle that you had recently very much worked out. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. So one of the controversial things of your time there, because it was during COVID, was the masks on, the masks off within the scenes. How did you decide when they would come off and on? They made no sense um, sometimes. Um, Like, you would go into a hospital with it, then take it off. So what was the planning with all of that? We get, like, so many messages about it. People are like, it's driving me crazy. But you were one of the first shows back. You know, it was just you guys in Drag Race. So it's like... What do you do? Um, so can you please let us in on the process of it changed what was the every masks? day? Okay. It changed every day because nobody wants to watch people act with masks on. It's yeah. really freaking boring, but we're trying to be socially responsible, but also do a TV show, but it's always ripped from the headlines, but we're also suspending reality. So it's like It's hard. You know, in retrospect, my opinion is now that, you know, maybe we did without masks. Maybe we just kept referencing the pandemic. But we are also, as a cast, personally, we're trying to be responsible and trying to represent. Because like you said, we were the first people back, like the first successful production allowed back. We started in September. I think we started in September of 2020. Yeah, so vaccines weren't even a thing. You couldn't even pretend that you were all vaccinated yet, you know? No, we got tested every single day. I mean, I've been tested, I was tested hundreds of times. It was incredible. You know, productions are spending, you know, it's an extra like hundreds, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars per episode to do testing. So not everyone could figure that out quickly enough, but the show runs like a well-oiled machine. So they were able to toss it in and while things were more difficult to shoot, I'm glad we went back. But the mask thing, it it, ugh, it was as frustrating for all of us because there was no consistency, but we were trying to be responsible. Like, like even the jury was half masks, half not. It was like, what is happening on that set? <laughs> because it also came down to personal preference at that point too. Like if somebody wanted to be an extra, but like insisted on wearing their mask and somebody else was like, I finally got called up for my time to be an extra on SVU. I am showing my face. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. So it it was a lot of variables to balance. And I don't, I think it was extremely confusing. I think we all would agree with that, but I think we were doing the best that we could. But yeah, I don't know what is the right way because it's like what you're talking about doing is like what Sex in the City did, the show when it came back, is they just referenced the pandemic, but they acted like it yeah. was in the past. And everybody was like, that's kind of weird too. But it is a TV show. I don't want to watch anybody have a conversation with a mask on. Like, I'm here to escape the fact that I have to wear a mask every time I leave the house. So I kind of get it how, I think it came across as confusing as it probably was in real life because it was just who knows how to handle that. It was. And I think it's how we all felt in general at that time. We're like, wait, masks on? Do they work? They don't work. Masks work? They don't work. (laughs) But outside, it's okay. But no, when I'm walking to the bathroom, I wear the mask. Like, you know, it, was, I think we it would be like Ice way. would walk into the precinct with a mask on. And then as soon as he got close to someone to have a conversation, he'd rip his mask <laughs> yeah. off. I know. Like, I feel like, I don't know. In retrospect, it'd be much more easy. I think 
you pick one and stick with it. But I mean, there's a reason why, you know, we don't wear sunglasses on the show. You know, yeah. it just you don't engage. It's harder to engage. Wow. Yeah, you, yeah. I, I don't know if I put that. We just covered one where Maloney was like, had glasses lowered and we talked about it because I guess they don't, they don't wear do glasses. it often. Yeah. Well, well we also might. covered one where Munch and Finn ride in a carnival haunted house, both wearing sunglasses and they can't, <laughs> they lose a suspect. And I'm like, maybe because you're wearing sunglasses inside a dark carnival ride. Maybe that's when the sunglasses stopped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I guess our last question is like any other hot goss or like fun tidbits from the set, like a funny story like that you always tell people about SVU or that you've never told anyone about SVU that you think our listeners would like? Um, well, I think a lot of people know the story already, but I'll share this one and try and think of something else in the meantime. But uh, during the World Series that the Nationals ended up winning, um, it was down to the semis, I believe it was, and the Braves were in a game, and the Nationals were in a game. And so I was talking all this shit to Kelly because Kelly's a big Braves fan. And she's like talking all this shit about the Nationals. And so we ended up winning the game that night and the Braves lost. We weren't playing each other, I don't think, but the Braves lost their game. We won ours. So I come into work the next day and my whole doorway has just been taped up, like just taped across <laughs> like the entire doorway with all these signs that say, go Braves, Nationals are losers, like all these things. And I get to my door. I'm like, what the hell? And I look over and she's like peeking out of her door being like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like laughing so hard. Sports pranks. <laughs> so those little things are always hilarious. Or, you know, Peter is like such like the consummate actor. I feel like he really is traditional in the way that he approaches things and keeps his craft up in a way that I associate more with theater a lot. But I know that that's not solely in theater. But so you'll hear, I'll hear him warming up in his room right here. I'm singing or doing lip trills or reciting his lines a bunch of different ways. And so I'd just be sitting there snickering to myself, you know, because he had so many scenes where he had these giant monologues. So he would just be in his room, like just saying them in all different yeah. weird voices just to try and get it to stick. And then with walls are thin because they're fake walls somebody built like a year <laughs> ago. So, you know, it's like listening to him is is hilarious. And your IMDb is stacked. I mean, Graceland, True Blood. I watched True Blood all the way through. You were a werewolf, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was. Have some scenes with Joe Manganello, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Wait, what? I shot a sketch with Joe Manganello one time where I think I had to say two, th maybe five words to him. And I was, I was like distracted by how hot he was. I was just like, this is tough. Like it was and like- And you're like, are you real? I know. I was him. just like, you look like a com a cartoon hero, like muscle man come off of the page or something, like a comic book character. Like But he's he's incredibly smart, which is which is really wonderful because I he he knows that he gets judged for being attractive and he's like, <laughs> I don't care. He, he's a classically trained actor from Carnegie Mellon. You know, we bonded over books when we worked together. And I don't think that's what anyone anticipated. Yeah. You know, if I were to say that, you know, what'd you take away from working with him? I'm like, we Talked about books a lot, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's awesome. I mean, we were in a sketch for MTV. I'm sure nobody saw, but, you know, it's happy so to have the opportunity. <laughs> it's worth the story. Um, werewolf. Yeah. That's cool. Yes, I was, I will tell you that being on network television, it was a relief that I knew I didn't have to get naked. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Wait, like, I, I don't remember. Allowed. Did your character have to get naked a lot on True Blood? I watched all of it, but it, it Just blends once. together. Wow. It was very sexual, that show. So, so you're going to do it on any show. I mean, they know how to light it. They know how to body makeup. They know how to... Yeah. 
It's always like in the woods and dark and like there's a mist rolling in. I bet that's probably pretty forgiving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, make me look warm and rosy. Like, yeah, yeah, Make yeah. me look like my blood is really coursing here. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like to prep for a nude scene? Or is it like how everyone says that once you're like naked, you're like, you forget you're naked. Or like, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I was not. in 30 degrees. <laughs> That was in 30 degree weather out in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night in the valley in LA where it still goes down to 30 degrees. Yeah. Um, I didn't have alcohol, carbs, or dairy for 30 days. That's the most time, that's the most I've ever given up in my life. And it was 100% motivated by vanity. (sighs) So I just hiked every day and I gave up all of that shit for 30 days and then did the nude scene in the middle of the woods. And as they got tighter, they start with the wide shot and you're totally nude. Then they would get tighter and they would put like Uggs on your feet. And then they get tighter <laughs> and they give you like sweatpants. You know, and you're still just topless standing in the middle of the woods. And, and I did that scene with Joe, and, you know, and what's, you know, I'm complaining because I'm like, oh, I'm naked. This is awkward, weird. But they do everything they can to make you comfortable. But the poor guys, guys have to like cinch their stuff up in like a little sack so that it's all contained. <laughs> it's very strange. Wow, a little sack. And then you're supposed wow. to look sexy while you're doing mm. all this shit. I do like the idea of um, you and Uggs, but fully nude out in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> do you remember your, um, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but do you remember your first like drink meal after the nude scene? Like after the 30 days, were you like, I need a burger or like what? I am sure I got hammered and like <laughs> ate some like crazy ass shit. I, usually when we would do overnights, and I'm sure I did this that night, um, I, you know, this is not in alignment with the values of supporting the LGBT community. And I understand that, but nobody makes a chicken biscuit like Chick-fil-A. So I'd get (laughs) off work at 6 a.m. and I would drive right to Chick-fil-A and get like two chicken biscuits and scarf them down, then go home and go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great answer. No, it's, um, it's, it's tough. I always try to do something positive for the world every time I really want that Chick-fil-A mac and cheese. (laughs) Oh, I know. That's a, that's really good mac and cheese too. Oh, Anything coming up that our people should um, hit up? And we'll obviously um, promote all of the organizations that you work for and stuff or volunteer with, but anything that you'd like people to check out? Uh, nothing specific right now. I'm working on some pitches for some some food content and things like that, some like educational shows and stuff I would love to host in the future. So I've got some of my own stuff cooking up. But I would say, I mean, promoting those organizations is wonderful and and to that end, just encouraging people in general to figure out how they can contribute to their community. It's not as hard as we think. It doesn't matter what you can offer. Maybe you have time, maybe you have money, maybe you have a skill set, maybe you have none of those things and you have a bunch of extra toys or extra canned goods or you like to bake. So take an extra thing of cookies to the shelter down the street yeah. when you do it. You know, I think we put a lot of distance, especially because of the crises over the last few years have made us all feel so helpless and out of control of our own lives. I can tell you from what I did with World Central Kitchen and and a lot of what I do that selfishly, it gives you some of that control back and it allows you to be more of an active member of your own community and your own well-being. And so whatever it is, whatever you like to do, I mean, it can be music and you just go to the old folks home and you play the piano for them for an hour one day, you know, it can be anything. So while I don't have anything for them to spend time on watching me in, I hope that (laughs) inspires some people to go do some things for the other people around them. Jamie Gray. I'm glad she's as pissed as we are. 
about not being on SVU. <laughs> so yeah, she's as pissed as we are about abortion and not being on SVU. She's yes. with us on all fronts, and I love that about her. But she's. I hope they like maybe bring her back someday because she's great. Yeah, and um, I like someone that does stuff. You know, I'm a talker. I talk too much, and I, it's nice to meet a doer who's out there and, like, doing shit. Oh, my gosh. Like, just flying to the Ukraine border to serve meals is, like, yeah. I like to, I you know, you always are, like, care as a citizen of the world or whatever. Like, I do try to help, but that's, like, next level. I think that's really cool. No, it's so terrible. Um, I was getting tattooed recently, and across the streets of Planned Parenthood. And there's usually a couple psychos out and about, but this time it was like, you know, uh, pro-choice people on the right next to Planned Parenthood, hopefully protecting people. And then the psychopaths across the street. But then like 40 police officers protecting the anti-choice people. Like, like all standing, facing the pro-choice people. And it's like, if we're going to see who's more violent, I think it's the other side. And then, like, one of the women on the anti-choice side had a megaphone and was just vile. Like, in my head, I was like, how do you think that you're on the proper side when yeah. the, the vile shit coming out of your mouth? Yeah. Like, horrific, insulting, degrading stuff, lot, just, like, fully on this megaphone. And, and like, name call, like, just discuss. It's just weird to think that you think that you're the good guys here. It's so shocking to me. Yeah, I mean, because they have it in their heads that they're crusaders with, like, a shield and a sword and that they're, like, stopping dragons who are trying to eat babies. I mean, that's literally the wild fairy tale they have created in their heads. And, like, I truly wish there could be, like, a science lesson or something given to these people to let them know what's up. Well, because one of them, one of them kept screaming like "take birth control," and it's like, well, now there's con- states that are trying to outlaw any sort of like IUDs and um, Plan Bs or anything like that. Also, so it's like it's take also- birth control. Like I have friends who have gotten pregnant with an IUD. I have friends who've gotten pregnant on the pill. Like it's not a hundred percent effective. Like. And it's not accessible for everybody. It's a dumb thing to say. And yeah. people are assaulted. And it's just like, I don't know. It's um, it's a dark time. And also, we don't talk about this enough, but fuck the Democrats. I saw this say where it's like, they keep telling us to vote. And it's like, and then what, bitch? We voted yeah. you in. And now what? You've yeah. truly done nothing. So like, they all these fucking old people, get the fuck away from us. Stop it. Can you do something? Can we be as like disgusting as the right. Can we do that? I know, that's the thing. It's like the whole, we they go low, we go high. It's like, I just don't know if it's like working anymore. Like, people are truly talking about this turning into a federal ban. Like, that it's possible that if they take control of the House and the Senate that, you know, it could be... I know at least in California, like, Newsom wants to work on, like, codifying abortion rights here so that, like, you know, certain states will hopefully be able to just say, no, in our state, this is always going to be legal. But... I don't know. I mean, I don't know the political games. I don't know what could happen. Like, can they seriously make it illegal in the whole um, country? And then the other thing is, is like, besides the illegality, like, what's the punishment for it? Like, are what? How how hard are they going to criminalize it? You know, like some state I read just did uh, introduced a law where you could get the death penalty for having an abortion. You're not pro life. Like, what's going on? You want to kill the mom who got rid of a clump of cells. It's just like, it's so dark. It's so fucking Handmaid's Tale. I really can't. Um, but, you know, I don't think we really need to get into too much of a postmortem with this episode. We know what we learned. We know where we are. Um, it is like And in terms of the episode, good episode. Yeah. Yeah. 
NSVU, I think, has always, like, tried to get abortion issues out there and stuff, and I, I do appreciate them for that because, like I was saying to Jamie, it is, like, a broad appeal show that definitely has anti-choice viewers. So I, I kind of appreciate that they're trying to maybe subtly get some messaging over to people that is more pro-choice. Um, but... I'll just segue right into our What Would Sister Peg Do for the week. That's our weekly segment where we give you guys a resource, an organization, an article, a book, something that you can check out or donate to to help give you more info about uh, this week's um, episode or what we touched on in this week's episode. So this week, uh, we wanted to highlight Planned Parenthood of California's Say Abortion campaign. Um, Jody Hicks uh, was telling us a little bit about this campaign, but the website SayAbortionCalifornia.com acts as a with links to register to vote, donate to Planned Parenthood affiliates, share an abortion story. I looked up protests there. This is not just for California. This is just run by um, Planned Parenthood of California. It's for the whole country. I looked up like my own zip code, but I was putting in other zip codes. Like you can look up in any city in the country. It's like Milwaukee protests everywhere. This is coming out a little bit um, after, but I am going to a protest on May 14th and I really am trying to think of a good sign. So Lisa, maybe you can help me after. But um Right now, a group of unelected officials are trying to take our bodily autonomy away from us, and we cannot let them take away our voices as well. Abortion is healthcare, and it is a common procedure and a vital procedure, so we really need to normalize it in our country. So if you want to join in on that mission, share your abortion story, donate to Planned Parenthood, anything like that, please go to sayabortioncalifornia.com, and as usual, that will be in our What Would Sister Peg Do, our WWSPD highlight on Instagram, and um, yeah. Please do something to get your voice out about this. Thank you for that. And then next week, we will be doing Loss Classic, Season 5, Episode 4. So please join us in watching Loss on Hulu, Peacock, and anywhere you view. And thanks for being such great listeners. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at GlitterCheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondry Plus in the Wondry app. Dun-dun! Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.